The following podcast is brought to you by long-term sponsor Atlas VPN. Support Moore's Law is dead by supporting this sponsor at the link in the description and make sure you use offer code Moore's Law to get Atlas VPN for just $2 a month. That's 82% off. And it is also brought to you by CDKoffer.com. Use offer code BrokenSilicon for 25% off Windows codes and DieShrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm joined by, well, actually, I'm going to be honest. I've been wanting to do a VR-centric Broken Silicon for, oh, God, I think for like six months now, since the end of last year. There was one guest I had on that I met at a gaming show. I wasn't sure if I wanted to. It kind of fell lost in emails, and then... Today's guest actually reached out to me, which I'd say one out of three guests reach out to me, and I'm always curious why they do it. But before we get into any of that, we have what will be called, I guess, an anonymous Oculus engineer. And I'll say this before we forget it. I'm sure you'll appreciate me saying these thoughts are your own, not the thoughts of any specific company. But yeah, introduce yourself. Yeah, so uh, I kind of want to remain anonymous, so I don't know how much I'll actually say through this, but... uh... Um, yeah, I guess uh, I, at some at some point in the past, uh, had worked at what was then called Facebook. Uh, ended up working on the Oculus division. Um, what I ended up working on was more system level stuff, um, kind of more more towards the operating system for the standalone headsets. If anyone's familiar with those, um, and since then, kind of moved on to slightly different work, kind of VR adjacent. Um, so I'm still still kind of in that space, um, and. Yeah, uh, I guess one thing I never really got from working at uh, Facebook was uh, actually being a VR developer. Um, so there's like these two very different things of developing a VR application um, using whatever uh, whatever system software you have, like actually making the game or the application, um, and working on system fundamentals for running a VR headset. Um, so I'm getting a little bit more of the VR developer sense of the world um, from working on a side project related to VR productivity. So hopefully right. I can speak to both of those. Right. So it's not like, you know, necessarily like though you understand the hardware and what goes into it, what hardware is typically good, what the challenges end up making a good piece of hardware for VR. You're not like the guy who designs it so much as you work with a lot of developers in the software behind it. And so like, you know, a lot, but I think that's honestly almost more useful because you can speak to the challenges in developing for a VR device with a lot of detail as well. Right. Yep. Yep. And I got to say, once I started talking to you, especially because now I've been messing around with an Oculus Quest 2, which I'll just say really surprised me how much better the current generation of VR is relative to the very, very first like Steam VR and Vive devices and PlayStation VR 1. I, I didn't realize oh, no, we've we've actually come a long way since where we are just five years ago. I, I'm starting to like reach out to especially a lot of like PlayStation VR people behind the scenes because I want to start talking about... Who's going to win? Because I actually, 
you know, g- messing with a modern VR device has also made me look at the landscape, and it's really quite different than who was dominating it a few years ago. And I can't wait to hopefully be able to do a leak about that in the future, which today, obviously, you're not able to talk about any behind-the-scenes things. But I-, I will have my fans know that you can expect some kind of VR information about from both PlayStation and other developers coming, in, coming not coming in, soon, because... This is really starting to interest me, but before we get into kind of Oculus and PlayStation VR and the others, you're anonymous, so I don't know how much you want to say, but I, I kind of ask this to all my guests, like, what? how much can you tell us about yourself, like the kind of setting you come from, maybe, and like what got you into this line of work relative to any other line of work you could have chosen? Um, yeah, interesting. Um I guess, uh, so when I went to college for computer science, um, I guess graduated with that, did a bunch of odd jobs. Like, I, I think everyone who does computer science goes through, like, working at a bank, um, <laughs> working at, like, random startups, uh, had a stint at IBM, uh, eventually landed at Facebook, which is kind of, like, one of the dream jobs. Um, everyone in computer science wants to hit one of the big tech companies. Um, at Facebook, um, I got to, like, self-select my team, and that's kind mm. of... Uh, how I, I like self-joined this operating system team. Um, but yeah, before that, really no, not, nothing in my background that would say like, oh, I would have gone to work on like VR, um, stuff like that. So, so in other words, like, it's not like you were, because some people I met in this space making games for like, for example, some of the people I've been talking to recently, the PlayStation VR 2, Half of them, you know, they were working on normal games or half of them, like you say, came from working like, I don't know, at a security firm. And then they're like, ah, now I work at a PlayStation studio. Most of them didn't like go from a young age. Oh, the what was it? The virtual boy made me want to make VR good or something. There are a couple developers, though, that are like that, where they actually have been trying to work on VR for decades. That's not you, though. No, no. I will say, uh, my, my original interest in computer science, uh, like when, the reason why I started was I wanted to make video games. Mm-hmm. This started with Game Maker, and then at some point you have to learn a real programming language. And I, I convinced my like Game Maker uses Ruby, and I told myself you're not learning Ruby. Ruby's a crap language. I learned like C plus plus instead, um, and never really got into games. Like once I hit school, for, like education for computer science, all of the theoretical stuff just interests me a lot more than what I would say the rigmarole of um, like making a game. Like there's a lot of stuff to make a production game that has nothing really to do with, I guess, theoretical math or anything like that. You actually like programming and making good code. Yes. It turns out, no, I really just like what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, have a, I won't get into it because it's off subject, but very similar thing for me with mechanical engineering where I thought I wanted to make an end product and then I just really enjoyed good efficiency in the process of making the product itself. But um, so you're not one of these like VR evangelists who thinks everyone's going to throw flat screens away, it seems, or at least that's not what you thought. QH Freddy writes in and he says, I've been completely uninterested in VR based on what I've seen over the past few years. What do you think VR has to offer for a flat screen traditionalist in quotations like me? Why should it translate into better experiences? I think you're a good person to answer that because you're not someone that thinks it has to replace everything like but you were forced to work on it like what have you learned working on vr what does it offer that flat screens and just traditional games can't yeah so i i think the value prop of um a proposition of virtual reality is just immersion um so it, it, it's kind of the exact same value proposition of video games in general is you want to feel like you're someone you're someone else doing something else that you couldn't do in the real world 
um so there's like there's a natural i guess um i guess link between video games and vr um so for for i guess for the for qh freddy here um if you enjoy video games uh you enjoy the immersive aspect of it the vr only has the potential to make that better um however in its current state i'm not sure there's much to offer like we're we're a far cry away from the Ready Player One world or mm. like the the sci-fi VR that has existed in pop culture for like since the eighties. Um, so until until we hit that, it, it's kind of hard to describe what could be better about it because we haven't really seen what could be better about it yet. So I haven't actually tried Half Life Alex, but I think if you had a decently good computer and a good headset, like Half Life Alex might be a thing that could try to convince you because um, it's just a well-made experience. Um, but yeah, I, I guess. I, I would just I would advise just trying it out. Like if you can find a friend or just some demo that you can do somewhere of a headset, just try it out and see how it compares. It might surprise you. Yeah, Thanks. I think it's very obvious. Uh, you know, one of the first V. I mean, it was after like V. Uh, what is it? Google Cardboard came out. I got like a decent one, not like a five dollar one, but like a twenty, thirty, forty dollar thing that mounted your smartphone to make a cheap VR device. And at the time I had a screen that I believe was one of the first 4K phones, even just five years, as five years ago. Um, I was like, oh, so this is ideal for trying out like Google Cardboard. And what I found is there's a few videos online here and there of varying degrees of quality, but there was, uh, what was it? Um, a horror movie sequel um, that had a trailer in VR that made you sit in oh. the... Yeah, I forgot which one it was. It was one that involves like a uh, black and white world they go to. There's like a lady in black they take pictures of. Um, I, I keep forgetting the name. Um, like they take a picture and there's a lady in a black dress that keeps getting closer to them. It's There's a million people screaming at me what the horror series is. It's very good. But And I was like, oh, this is scary. <laughs> like this is... But it's like one trailer. And... You know, I, I've got to say, getting the Quest 2, Half-Life Alex is awesome. I will say some of the combat scenes get a little frustrating when you do the wrong motion and have to jump around. I think it's a game that erred on the side of let's make it fun, not annoying. So it's almost a little easy at times to cheese past enemies by just teleporting past them. But they did that because they're like, we don't want this to be frustrating. So, you know, but then it feels cheap. And besides that, I've been looking around. There's like that. Super hot VR, which is amazing. F frankly, I think the perfect VR game. They nailed exactly what you could do with the technology right now. Not a lot of other things. There's a Medal of Honor that gets mediocre reviews. Sniper Elite VR that gets mediocre reviews. I see things like Pistol Whip, but that's kind of a super hot-ish type of game that doesn't rely on realistic graphics. I'm actually surprised. And, and you know, when I look at Fallout 4 VR reviews and Skyrim VR... A lot of the reviews are, this is the laziest cash-in we've ever seen that's going to give you a headache. I'm surprised, though, that at this point, it's been years since Half-Life Alex came out. I don't see a lot of immersive AAA VR games besides Alex. It's funny you said Alex, and it is a proof of concept, but I feel like that's still almost the only AAA proof of concept, or is there something else that comes to mind? No, I, I think Alex stands apart. Um, and, and Valve is a good company to, I guess, try to explore this space. Um, but yeah, if if you think if you look at anything that like um, Oculus has announced recently, like there was a game reveal in March or April or something, 
um, they're all basically like AAA games from before 2010, and they're just mm-hmm. getting VR ports. Like San Andreas was announced, and it's mm. like, oh, okay, like it, it, I'm sure it'll be fun, but it's just I don't know. Why not do GTA Five, guys? That game has good graphics, and yeah. it is that's old as well. But that would require much more effort and optimization to do. I I don't know if it's possible to do it well. I think that's the answer. I think that's why we're seeing Resident Evil 4 and San Andreas instead of Resident Evil 8 and GTA 5. Even though GTA 5 was 2013, I'm not I'm not sure the Quest could do it, the current Quest 2. Oh, built with the built-in processor? Yeah. yeah. Not well, no. Yeah. Uh, it would have to be something for Steam and you'd need yep. like, you know, at least a 3060 or something. Yeah. Going back to QH Freddy's question, uh, the one thing I would say is right now what VR offers you is not so much a different, it is a different type of immersion in the games you're playing, but I wouldn't say it's like you get this and now you can play all of your games better. It's just like, if you get this, now you can play super hot and Half-Life Alex. And trust me, these are experiences you haven't had before and you're missing out on really great games. But I don't know how much that it makes everything you already own better yet. No. Yeah. And it it probably would, anything you already own probably would not make better. You, you'd have to get a specific, you'd have to have a version of the game built for, to, to make use of, um, I guess the, the capabilities of VR. Um, I, the way I think about VR right now is it's almost, it's, um, so there's like desktop console gaming, which I guess those are kind of considered separate. And then there's handheld gaming, like the switch, the old DS stuff like that. VR to me is just another category. It's not going to replace any of them. It's just a compliment to them. Some people will like it more than others. Some people won't care about it at all. It, I think its existence will still help push everything forward, though. Yes. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I think a good example of you can't just throw it together and hope it's a good VR experience is I was reading like, um, <laughs> again, both for Fallout 4 and Skyrim. They were like, two-handed swords, you have to swing with one hand, but then in front of my face in VR, it shows my arms holding a sword with two hands, and it gives me a headache to see my arms swinging with two hands, but I'm swinging with one hand in real life. And there's a reason Half-Life Alex made all the guns holdable by one hand. <laughs> Because it's really annoying to not allow that in VR unless you have some kind of peripheral that makes it feel like you're holding it with two hands. Yep. Yeah. And Alex also, Alex was really adapted to the index controllers too, mm-hmm. which is another thing, which I, I guess, have you used the index controllers? I have not. Not the latest ones, no. Yeah. The game feels a little bit different if you use those. Like you can, you can like throw things in the air and catch them, which I don't know if you get the same uh, fidelity with, I guess, the Quest 2 controllers. I, I, it feels better than PSVR 1, in my opinion, typically, but it doesn't really feel any more accurate than PSVR 1s. I'll say that, you know, which for as rudimentary as PlayStation Move was, it's pretty easy to make it accurate to track a big, bright ball so that it would explain why it's no more accurate than something that much older. Um, but uh, all right. So that's kind of the opening discussion on VR there. I want to start transitioning into some notes I have in the script here, which I found an article There's links in the description for everybody that kind of goes through. It misses some things, honestly, in my opinion, but I think it's a decent primer on like the evolution of VR over the past past couple hundred years. But if we're being honest, like I used it to look at the past 20 years part. So it is interesting to see. We were experimenting with like 3D viewing of things all the way in the 1800s. And actually, I think a lot of the 3D viewing experiences came even before movie theaters because it it actually is kind of easier to do sometimes. Um, There's been this experimentation 
again, for hundreds of years, actually. I'm pretty sure even in, like, the Renaissance, you could find a couple of scientists from Venice who, like, made one 3D picture and were just so pleased with themselves. So we've been capable of doing some of that kind of stuff for a very long time. Um, but I think there's been blips, like the Virtual Boy... And I guess if you're counting 3D and not VR, there was like the 3DS. And I actually had a 3D Asus monitor at one point when that was a craze for both PlayStation and Sony TVs and PC gaming that just went away, <laughs> actually. But I, I think VR before 2012 was one era. And then all of a sudden, like one kickstarter for the oculus rift started everything we're seeing today or was vr really on your radar at all before that oculus rift kickstarter uh no so yeah so i looked this up i thought that kickstarter was in 2010 but apparently it was 2012 um so no i don't think it was on my radar at all the only thing is uh you keep bringing up the virtual boy that was uh i watched like the angry video game nerd video on the virtual boy mm -hmm. um so i knew that was the thing we like attempted to do before but um yeah, I guess I kind of always just thought like VR would happen. I, I guess I thought it was happening and there was just like a lull in technology and I guess 2012 was when it picked up. Yeah, the 80s and 90s, like every fourth sci-fi movie just assumed in 10 years VR would be everywhere and we just kept going decade by decade until we are here now. And it feels like we're actually starting to see the building blocks. Actually, a little bit of a non sequitur, but it is always funny to me when you see like a futuristic movie and it's like 20 years from now, everyone is self-driving cars and there's robots walking around and it's like, well, if no one's at the beta test now, it's not going to be here in 20 years, man. This takes so much iteration to get there. It's not like they just go and now we make it. Yeah. The metaverse is an example of this too. I, not in the next 10 years. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we have a demo. Yeah, and I know you made well, it work once in one place. That if is there's not even the a same. demo, do you think yeah. there's a demo? I'm not sure there's a demo. Oh no, I meant for like self-driving cars, but I think oh, ma yeah, the yeah. metaverse thing is a similar situation where it's like yeah. I'm aware you made one car drive around a block by itself. Now yeah. make 200 million of them do it at once. Well, it's snowing, please, and we'll yeah. see if I believe that this is going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I'm looking through the history here. I see the Oculus Rift came out. It got it, and it was now there's tons of successful Kickstarters, but this was one of the first huge ones, thus proving that there's a lot of dorks who have been waiting for this to happen, and they were happy to fund this immediately. Yeah. Uh, and then Facebook bought it, and in 2014, it's when VR just went from Kickstarter to corporate. I, I didn't realize all of this happened in the same year Google Cardboard, Facebook buying Oculus. Samsung, Sony announcing a VR device. I mean, everything. Everything was just announced in 2014 from a bunch of corporations. Um, yeah, I guess my thought on that is, um, so I, I think the press went wild with um, Oculus as a startup, like when it started its Kickstarter campaign, because of uh, like what we just talked about, the like 30, 30 to 40 years of sci-fi pop culture just saying, oh, VR is going to be a thing. It's we're, like we're all mm -hmm. going to live in it. I, like we've just been telling ourselves as a society for so long it would happen that when someone was like oh we're gonna make it happen everyone ran with it um and then there's there's so much wealth of um i guess uh cautionary tales to draw from to say like oh bad company does this blah 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 but um once once facebook bought oculus i think that that triggered something in big tech which is why i think we saw a lot of these announcements right after um like the google cardboard effort 
Um, Samsung, in some ways, uh, with its Gear VR line, it was partnered with Oculus. So I, I almost don't know if like the Samsung thing was just the natural progression of like Oculus productionizing itself. Um, but yeah, I, I think once Facebook bought the company and showed it had interest in VR, that's when the other tech companies had to then also say, like, show an interest in VR, um, which we see uh, we see a, a similar thing occurring with the metaverse as a, mm. a buzzword too. Like Facebook said it, and now how many companies? Nvidia are, keeps bringing up yeah. a similar type of concept tech all the time now. Yep. Yeah, and all of the startups that are getting venture funding by talking about it so i i think that's basically what happened is it was like a perfect storm of um like this new startup was going to give us the future we've always been told we we're going to have and then it was bought by big a uh, big tech company and then every other big tech company had to say they were doing something for it or investors would say why aren't you doing this it is similar to self-driving too where nvidia i remember like this is something i've harped on a million times like eight years ago or something was just like we're going to dominate self-driving and they, they had to say it and then you look around now it's like oh, it seems like 90 percent of your money is still from graphics cards dude i don't know <laughs> but everyone had to say amd did and intel everyone had to say they were getting into self-driving yep. so everyone had to say they were getting into smartphones including intel you know because we can't make it seem like we're behind the times yep. although yeah now that i'm mentioning so many of these intel smartphones nvidia self-driving most of their increasing profit margins were just doing what they were already doing better the whole time yep. i guess let me ask and, and I, I don't have much thoughts of this my own, so you can say as little or as much as you want, but didn't it seem like Oculus was just going, or, and, or like even like some of the Steam projects? And I remember there was one year where everyone was hyped up about the Vive, and it just didn't really take off. And then Sony entered it, and before the Oculus Quest came out, and Oculus 2 especially, Sony just kind of dominated VR out of the gate. Yeah, the the PSVR one. Um, mm -hmm. Well, yeah. So I, I guess the Vive was the Vive filled the market. It launched before the Rift, right? The Oculus Rift, which was the first desk, Oculus desktop headset. So I, it had a market, but for the same reason why, like the Rift market was small. Um, I think with with PSVR, um, anyone who had a PS4, which was much more than the amount of people who had PC desktops that could play VR games at that time, could theoretically use it. Um, with that being said, I did not have a PS4 at the time, so I have no personal experience with it. So, what? Yeah. Well, yeah, so, and, and the reason I did, and I didn't, it's not like I was excited for it or got it right away or anything. It's just, I want to say in like, I don't know, 2018, there was like an open box headset on Amazon 150 to get the headset part. I already had like one move device. My parents had a pile of move controllers they never used next to their Wii behind their TV. So I was like, well, I have that and the camera. So if I pay 150, I can mess around with this. And so I did. And I played Resident Evil 7's DLC specifically that was free in VR. I played Super Hot in VR. For those who are fans of Moore's Law is Dead, there was one Christmas, I want to say, where it was just me and the co host, Dan playing super hot back and forth for hours on end in our parents house where they were on some trip <laughs> like during the and we got so tight we got had like a bag of swedish fish for calories because man does that game burn calories if you're burning through levels um and so that i have a fond memory of that but you know after that i didn't use it but i will say i did use it literally on a base ps4 it wasn't like it was a ps4 pro and i was 
actually impressed in what it was capable of. Like it, it, it did work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess, I, I don't know. Cause like the mention of super hot too, super hot, I don't think is the most graphically intensive game. Mm-mm. Um, but, Resident Evil yeah. seven looked better than I expected though. I will say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I, I don't have too much more to say of it. I, my, I guess my thing with the PSVR, which was kind of all um, VR headsets at this time, was they were so tethered to a compute device. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was, I think there was a big barrier to entry, um, especially for the PSVR, for like a normal person. Like, it's not just like you buy a headset, it's you buy a camera, you buy controllers, you buy a headset, you set everything up, you have this really long cable that connects to the device. And Which I've lost one of my cables, so I can't even use it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this was the same problem with the Rift as well, except the Rift had more of a problem because it was, it was basically like, you can attach it to a computer, this may or may not work based on what your computer is, we'll, we'll try to help you, I guess. Um, so yeah. I think, yeah, and I think my friends has one of the first Oculuses, and there was, this is a few years ago, it's a similar situation, basically about at the same time I got a PSVR 1, he got a deal from a friend who was upgrading to the Vive, I want to say, or something else, who sold him the Oculus for like a couple hundred bucks for everything included, and we, I have fond memories of us playing this one cooking game where he was in the other room and he would pretend he's the guy taking the orders and he'd yell in the other room and we'd be like, yeah, we got two hamburgers coming up. And then in the other room, I'd start chopping. So I, I, but we couldn't even get sound to work on it. There were like four cables connected to his PC. And it was, there were so many random driver things that could happen because of how many, the Rube Goldberg system that it didn't, both PSVR, I'd say PSVR 1 actually made a better impression on me, but both of these systems left an impression on me that it's like worth messing with if you're an enthusiast for a couple hundred bucks, but I'm not paying a thousand dollars for something that's a headache to set up half of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so with all of that, and, and this is why I think it's taken so long for VR to gain, um, to the, or get to the, the place of adoption where it's at, um, and we'll we'll talk about this at, in some other question as well. But I think content too, like there needs to be enough that you want to do on the device to get over the friction of using the device. Um, you can make the friction of using the device go down, but you kind of still need a reason to like fight through it. Like putting a headset on your face is always going to be more than mm-hmm. just turning a TV on. Um, yeah. Well, I say the Oculus too, actually. Or I guess I don't know. Isn't it? Is it technically the Quest too? Yeah. The um, Quest Uh, Like, I will say the fact that it has a built-in processor with 6 gigs of RAM and a 128 gigabytes of storage means that it isn't always easier than turning on the TV. Like, if I want to check out something in VR, or like, I can just put it on and it works. So that does remove, honestly, more than half of the problem I had before, especially even Half-Life Alex, where it just connects by Wi-Fi to my router, which is etherneted to the PC upstairs with a giant, super long ethernet cable. And so it works and I actually just turn it on and play. And that that difference, I mean, it's, it's hilarious to me how much of a difference that means, but I, I don't know. I It is funny though, while we talk about this and we'll come back to it, but it does seem like we look around at the early VR devices. Most of them only sold a couple hundred thousand units. Like, that's it, or maybe up to half a million. Sony entered the race with a few games to play on it that were good, and they just instantly got past, like, five million sales like it was nothing. 
And then that was kind of it until the Quest 2, right? And no one else is, and even Sony, I feel like, almost has a PS Now situation where it's like they could have done a lot more with it in that time. Like, where are the games? Where is the support? They're probably waiting for the PS5 to be out to be stronger, to be fair. But I I don't know. It, It does feel like besides the Quest and besides PSVR, every other project, including... You know, the recent index really doesn't hold almost any market share. Those are really the two people where if you're a developer, you got to make your game work on both of those. Yeah. Um, well, interesting, too. I, I'd be interested to know how much of the PSVR or how many games that like support Quest and Quest 2 support the PSVR. Because in my mind, the PSVR 1 is almost dead. Like, I, I, are people still making games for it or are they just basically waiting for the next? You know, I don't pay as much attention to that anymore, but I believe they are. So you're just about now getting to a point where like hardcore shooters aren't bothering with it. So I would say about 2020 is where most games are starting to not come to PSVR. But up until then, most did besides Half-Life Alex, to my knowledge. Um, most of them are probably waiting to release it for PS5's VR device, to be honest, though, if I had to guess. Based on what I've said, heard from developers, they're all just like, why bother? This is going to be a new thing anyways yeah another interesting thing to look at would be how much of the quest games are supported on pc vr mm-hmm. um because basically oh, i think almost all of them yeah interesting because uh, like the, the quest market share itself i think is bigger than psvr and just overall We're, we'll or, get sorry, to P- that pc vr sorry not psvr oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. I, and again, guys, don't get mad at me, but I don't know the numbers in front of me here, but I don't think like almost any other VR devices hit a million sold, let alone even half a million for half of them have failed at that. Yeah. Whereas I know PSVR is around at least 5 million and Oculus is getting close to 10. Yeah. So that's why if I sound dismissive of these other devices, it's because frankly, if you ask me what the VR world is, it's number one, Quest 2. Number two with a strong second place, but still distinctly second place, is PlayStation VR. And they used to be number one, so it's kind of crazy they lost that so quickly. And number three, Google Cardboard, probably. I mean, that's the one I kind of give a nod to because I like how they had such modest goals to just let people play with it. I kind of appreciate it. Yeah, there's um, there's also the Windows Mixed Reality platform, which has a bunch of VR headsets on it, but... They're basically just Steam VR headsets. I think they all just get clumped into PC VR. Um, the Index, I think, sold 150 though in its first year. So I think Index might be third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I don't know how many of the Vives sold or something. I want to say that got above 200. But again, I oh, really do not know. Yeah. I, 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 think, I know they're all below 500,000. And so yep. I think it's safe to say that Oculus has probably sold close to everything else combined. And then PlayStation VR has probably sold everything below it more than everything below it combined um but before we continue on that discussion here i kind of want to take a second to talk about why different companies are interested in vr right like I i think it's important to point out that Sony's business model is very conductive to VR. They're, everything about them, if you listen to what their CEO's been saying, other, some of the other higher-ups that Sony's been saying in the press recently, is around the idea of, we don't want Game Pass, we like our old business model. And they've dominated this old business model, so of course they don't want to switch business models. But I will say that VR is something that you're not going to stream from the internet. That will just not work due to latency reasons. And so it makes a lot of sense why Sony's one of the people 
seemingly ready to double down on VR and why I kind of want to bring this up. I don't think Microsoft's, and I'm sure we'll get questions asking this, uh, if not, I don't think in this one, but I have gotten them on Broken Silicon before, like, where's Microsoft's VR device? And I'm like, guys, they can't, Game Pass doesn't work with VR, so they're not going to do it. Yeah. Um, And this is where I think it's a little interesting to talk about Microsoft versus Xbox. So I think Microsoft as a company is bought into some form of VR, Um, although I think that like with Apple and Google, um, they're betting more on AR or MR as like the next general purpose compute device and less on VR for gaming. Um, I, I, I think I, I think I agree with your assessment though of um, Microsoft wants to sell a subscription service. VR is not really VR is not really at the place in general. Um, mm. I don't think it's been proven yet that people would even want it like that would encourage them to buy a headset. Maybe Sony can change it with the the next generation. Um, well, and to be fair, too, for a successful subscription service, and we're seeing this in Netflix earnings and all these other things, you need tens of millions of subscribers for that to work. Microsoft's is struggling right now, based on what I've been hearing, to get above about 20, 25 million Game Pass subscribers that are actually paying them not a dollar per month, like, and they, they need to, and it's kind of just flat plateauing, should I say, there. Uh, Oculus hasn't, I don't believe, quite sold 10 million. So there's no subscription service to make any amount of money on there right now anyways. Yeah, there's no, it's it's not a subscription service, but they, they have like a, a platform store, like what Apple has or what Google has on Android. Right, like PlayStation, where you yep. can make like 20, 30 bucks, 40 bucks per game. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I think at some point, so Microsoft's gone down this strategy. Um, I think to do like large scale strategy changes, it's five to ten years, so they're gonna they're gonna play this out. If Sony is very successful with their VR device and it drives PS5 adoption more than or even mm. more so than um, Microsoft or Xbox consoles, I, I could see them like chain like um, I guess doing a 180. Um, I don't think I think I think PSVR two would have to just be like a knockout. Like it'd have to sell immensely well. Sony would have mm. to make so much revenue from it. Um, but I think Microsoft is in a position where it could turn that around pretty quickly, um, just because of what they've been doing with HoloLens, the Windows mixed reality platform. Um, I, I don't think it's as that's more dire of like a them. business thing, though, right? Where and I know people who use it, but they use it for like looking at the dimensions of a car or airplane they're working on in live. It's not really for gaming, though, even though they kind of sold it with Minecraft in a few demos at first and then never really did much with that. Yeah, so HoloLens definitely not for gaming. Um, all of the trade-offs for that as a product category wouldn't work well with um, or for video games. Um, maybe you could think about doing like a Pokemon Go kind of through a HoloLens, mm. but I don't think you can use them outside, so it's kind of a moot point. Um but just they, like they, there are basically they they have a Windows API um, that works well with um, VR devices. I think Microsoft actually supports OpenXR, um, which is this like cross-platform. A bunch of vendors are bought into it. VR API. I think Microsoft has a runtime implementation of that for Windows, um, because Xbox is basically just Windows. I mean, it's not. I'm sure a lot of people will be mad at that. I just I see them being able to very easily support this if they want to make absolutely yeah yeah. But yeah, um, everything on the current track record, I don't think you'll, I don't think you'd see like a Microsoft sanctioned headset in for maybe three to four years after PSVR. Which yeah. means probably the next generation, if anything. 
Yeah, which I guess I'm not, and I'm not like uh, familiar on like when the generation should end. But is the is the next generation going to be that quick? Like we just get PS5s and stock, hey, and then these came over. out in 2020. It's 2022 right now. I think the PS5 Pro is 23 or 24, and then two years after that, I think five years from now, yeah, we'll probably see the next generation already. Which they're usually five to seven years long, so. That sounds about right if we're already two years into the gen. It's just funny to think of how much time is passing, to be honest, because it still feels so new, especially because they're hard to get still. I, I think there's a chance you might see, though, Microsoft, if Sony's making tons of money in the short term, if they feel like they have a feature disadvantage, though, they like sanction the Quest 3 and say, this is officially supported on Xbox. Maybe. But then again, I don't know if they would, because if they were getting ready to make their own headset... What are they going to do? Support the Quest 3 and then say, never mind, not anymore. Now we're switching yeah. to ours. And, and well, so without, without, okay, so like let's, let's pretend uh, PSVR 2 wasn't going to exist. Mm. I don't think Microsoft would have made a VR headset. I think they had the mm. chance to. Um, same with Google and Apple. And they've kind of chosen not to. Like they haven't done it fast enough. Um, with that being said, there's that rumored Apple device coming out. Um, I'm just, I'm not sure anyone's really going to be focusing on VR, specifically gaming. Um, from these other big companies other than, I guess, Meta right now. Yeah, well, let me, because I have also heard, not just publicly, although all of a sudden, right when we're talking, I swear all these articles are coming out about an Apple VR device, but I have heard there is strong validity to Apple launching a VR device. <laughs> when I look at the performance of their M1 chips and stuff, and people are like, oh, it's not as strong as a 3090. It's like, well, you know, most VR sure. games, dude, require 1060 performance so i think apple actually has the socs that if they wanted to could have something with the power consumption of the xr2 and the quest 2 but actually be capable of like four times the performance yeah. right there is room for them to trailblaze in there do you see them doing that though for gaming apple or do you think they'll come up with something else to do with it and if so what you know. Yeah. So from a gaming perspective, and I think people, there have been, I think you can find this on Google. There have been, um, I guess, industry analysts analyzing Apple's um, ability to get into the gaming market. They, they're trying with Apple Arcade. I don't know how successful that is, but that's their like 2D game subscription service for Apple TV. And yeah, every now TV. and then I hear people bring up that it's actually doing pretty well, but I have no idea what that yeah. means. What does well even mean relative to who, you know? Yeah, like I don't know subscriber counts. I don't know even how they make money on it. Um, but so they're trying to get into gaming on that front. Um, as it exists now, if they released a headset, um, it would be based on iOS, um, which is based on macOS. There would be basically no games that support it um, from mm -hmm. the get-go. Uh, like it wouldn't be that easy to just port... Um, it would be it would be some amount of effort to port an existing VR game. Um, what's even worse is all of the VR applications and games that are being made right now. Um, basically, everyone's agreed to use the OpenXR API, uh, except Apple. So Apple is the only one that is still using their own, um, I guess, their own first party API. So that adds more developer friction for porting anything. Um, what I think that, so that's all to say, I don't think the Apple headset would be focused on gaming. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it, it would be targeted as a general purpose compute device, like kind of an early laptop replacement. So trying to give you something that could let you do all of the work you could do on a laptop, but you know, without the confines of you have a 14 inch screen or you have a 16 inch screen. 
Yeah, because I guess people in the Apple ecosystem have demonstrated they're willing to spend more money than most yep. people. You take something like the Quest 2, quadruple its performance, make it way thinner and lighter, sell it for $1,000, $1,500, $2,000. I guess it's conceivable if they poured enough money into R&D, you could have, I forgot what it's called, reuse cameras to track your hands. Um, inside out tracking? That uh, called? Yeah, so inside out is just like the, the headset uses cameras to track itself. Um, hand, hand tracking is basically just like you use cameras and machine learning to track hands. Right. So I, it's conceivable they could try to make a device that's kind of in between the size of a Quest 2 and a Microsoft HoloLens. And then mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you just put this on and then, you know, a virtual keyboard appears in front of you. You start typing. You can use it for games. I guess I could see them trying to sell that. But I would have to imagine if they gave that a go ahead, because there are plenty of things like Apple TVs and cars that they work on for years and never release. They, there has to be some killer use they discovered in their labs where they're like, this is how we sell the device to people. And I don't know what that would be. I, I guess I don't know. You, I don't know that I'm sold. It's typing a Word document virtually in front of me. Is that much of a selling point? Or do you, or what would it be in your opinion? Um, no. Well, may, maybe. So I, I guess I'm, maybe you sit down in a hotel room, right? Put it on and you have yeah, your whole workstation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you let, let's say so I, I'm bullish on VR productivity for um, like you you carry this device around. It has its own compute on it. So like, let's say it's like the Quest 2 can carry it anywhere. Pretty portable. Um, you put it on. You immediately have your monitor set up. Let's say you mm. wanted like a random six monitor setup because you do uh, day trading. Like all of that will just be wherever you are. You can go to a coffee shop, do it. Um, or there's no monitors. It's just windows appear in front of you mm -hmm. magically, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah, there are absolutely. no monitors. The monitor is everything, the circle around you yep. or the globe yep. around you. Which um, there there are some there are some pieces of VR software that do this, um, which I, I can name if anyone's interested in them. But um, I so for Apple's killer app, it's it's a good question. I don't know. So all of the products they've launched before, they've had killer apps up until like when Jobs left well died but left um like the apple watch i don't think had a killer app and everyone still bought it mm. so i think we're they just did it well you know yeah that's basically well, it did they do it well it's kind of an ugly i don't know i don't have an apple device <laughs> yeah I, in my opinion it's an ugly form factor I, I just want a thing that looks like a watch i don't need it to like be able to track every single biometric like mine yeah. looks like a watch yeah yeah um so, and theirs isn't circle for some, circular for some reason, which the most natural thing for a clock is circular. But everyone bought it anyway. It's the best-selling smartwatch. It just it decimated everything else. I think that would happen. I think there's enough. Um, there's enough. I don't want to say street cred, but uh, enough normal people enjoy Apple and respect Apple enough that if they release this device, I think it would increase the market by a lot. Like a, a lot more people would be interested in VR than are interested now you know investors would probably like it too because apple could like go on stage and then you know they'd have their opening and there'd be lines around the block in new york city yep. and san francisco to get it and you'd see people at coffee shops using it and they'd be like apple's still the future yep. i guess from an investor perspective yep. i mean that and, alone would be a reason to do it and it's a new product class and they're reaching saturation like global saturation on iphone sales they need mm -hmm. something else to continue their revenue yeah i've heard that from an investor person i know uh, uh well i not invest, i won't say who it is but someone who follows these companies who's wondering this isn't financial advice but is wondering if apple's gonna have to admit in their next earnings call 
people don't want iPhones anymore or don't want as many new iPhones. And so what do you do? But what they will want is this new VR device. Yeah. And I, I think they'll position it more as MR too. I don't, I don't think they'll, I don't think it will be positioned the same way as existing VR headsets. Mm-hmm. No, they're definitely going to have like, look at what the neural engine can do if you look at a tree with it in the forest. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'd be interested if, if they focus on outdoor. I, I think they'll focus hmm. on indoor stuff first, similar to what all of the VR headset limitations are. Um, just because when, once you put that much heat dissipation on your face and you go into a hot environment, it tends not to work well. Yeah, yeah, that's very true as well. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, I guess I have basically no doubt that they're going to announce a VR device, well, if anything, for those reasons, right? Eventually, yeah, maybe, or at least, maybe. or that yeah. there's there's more reasons for this project, whether it comes out or not, to be something getting close to being a real thing that releases than them coming up with some killer app that they there are things they could just do better than everyone else or say they're doing better than everyone else yep. and sell it as a way of expanding into a new market yep. category for investors. So, yeah. And yeah. the only the only issue I have with Apple is, like, we've had analysts for, like, 10 years saying they're definitely building a car, and there has been absolutely no news of it. So, like, the fact that we're hearing a lot of rumors about, like, this device mm. doesn't necessarily mean it will ever ex- is, exist. Like Apple, Apple is known to keep everything internal until they believe it's like a not a perfect product, but does something well. And if if they're having heat issues or something, which there's rumors of, they might just say no. Which with how powerful, yeah, these chips are, yeah, I believe they might be. <laughs> well, do you know the TDP of the M1 device? So there's the M1, then Pro mm-hmm. Max, and then Ultra. I severely doubt they would put anything more than like the M1 class. So like if it's called like yeah, M2 or I something. mean, isn't it like five to fifteen watt depending on how you configure it or something for like the cut down models? I think it gets up to twenty five yeah. watts. And I know like their super pro thing. I mean, yeah, those can get to like over a hundred watts. Yeah. But yeah, the, the ultra, I think its base TDP is like sixty. Um, but yeah, but let's say I think so. You can look up the XR2 on the Quest Two. I think its TDP is under twenty. So. It seems reasonable that a chip that's 5 to 25 could be used in a device of this class. And then it's it's just asking how much performance does that give? Um, so if you're saying four times the performance of the XR2, that might be usable. Um, but I think, if my opinion hasn't been clear, I don't know if the XR2 is powerful enough. Um, but when you 4X it, maybe. Um, my The way I would just, and I have looked into this because I am like starting to get interested in comparing current VR devices to what we're going to get in the future. I think the current, my estimate of the current XR2 is that it's, you know, somewhere between an around an Xbox One or PS4. Its processor, honestly, is probably a little better than last gen consoles at this point. Its graphics card is probably better than the Xbox One and teraflops. It's close to the Xbox Ones, which doesn't sound that impressive, but people need to uh, need to understand that like ARM GPUs actually do have a decent amount of performance per teraflop, especially compared to GCN 1.0 from 2012 guys, which is what's in the original Xbox One. So it's in playing super hot, I thought it ran smoother than on the PS4 base. So you know, it's clearly about that level of performance. If you were to quadruple that, or I mean, you're looking at something that's between a PS4, PS4 Pro and like an Xbox Series S or around, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. That's pretty good, you know, I think. And then you just have to put in display resolution too. So what, like the Quest has two 2K True. panels? 
I, I think the Apple one is rumored to have two 4K panels. Right, so it's probably going to play games around a little weaker than a PS4 Pro in graphics, but with super high res. Yeah, if it plays games at all. If there's any games True. that actually exist. Yeah. Um, I think what will happen, too, with the Apple headset is you'll you'll basically get iOS app compatibility, and you'll just be able to run things that would have run on your phone, but now it's on now your it's face. Now it's bigger. Like, maybe, yeah. again, like, I can see their concept trailer and like you get home looking at some stuff on your phone and then you just put on your apple glasses and then you make a big screen yeah yep. that type yep. of stuff is what they'll probably yep. target first or multiple apps for productivity like, mm-hmm. but yeah that there's a whole other thing that ios apps aren't great for that but they 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 try so Reese, there you are Reese here is not very hard to find. All you have to do is say her name and she shows right up, which is basically what you're doing online every time you're surfing the web without using a VPN. That is why today this piece of content is brought to you by Atlas VPN. Atlas VPN is a sponsor that has supported Moore's Laws Dead for a very long time. And so if you need a VPN, show some support to a company that supports me. Atlas VPN gains you access to content in other regions companies want to nickel and dime you for, despite basically already paying for it yourself. And they allow for blazing fast, competitive upload and download speeds on unlimited devices while also simultaneously stopping ads and malware and this includes malicious links and trackers trying to steal your data best of all they work to show you the best prices available while you're shopping online subverting attempts to gouge you based on your location and operating system that one is incredibly useful in my opinion and demonstrates that you're actually paying for something that's giving you some of that money back. That's right, it's saving you money every month despite only costing $1.99 a month if you click the link in the description and use the code Moore's Law for three years of service. Clicking this link protects your data, saves you money, and really does help this channel a lot. If you need a VPN, support someone who supports Moore's Law is dead at Atlas VPN today. Go, go. All right, well, Turning the conversation back to gaming a little bit, I want to ask a reader mail here from Brett Summers. Hello, Tom and Mysterious Engineer. My question is simple. Do you think the PSVR 2 will push VR into the mainstream? I've tried multiple versions of VR, the Vive, Oculus, the first PlayStation one, and some games are good and all, but most are just okay. Will PSVR 2 bring the much-needed high-quality headset at a more consumer-friendly pricing to get developers interested in VR? It seems like it'll almost always remain as a supplemental type of gaming if it does not have mass adoption. Bonus question, on the front of PC, on the PC VR front, will Zen 4, Raptor Lake, RDNA 3, Lovelace make much of a difference, or are we still hamstrung by the lowest common denominator type thing? Well, I'll answer that second question myself. Um... What I'm hearing from PlayStation, or not even really, from developers working with PlayStation VR 2 dev kits right now is that the graphics they're able to get out of it because they're targeting the PS5, not only is the baseline, but is the only thing they need to worry about. They don't need to be like, oh, Superhot needs to work on an XR2 in the Oculus Quest 2, it also needs to work on PS4 base, it also needs to work on a 1060 and 
a Polaris GPU, they can just go, oh, the base level is somewhere around like if it existed an RX 6700, 3060 Ti. And also we can optimize it only for that. So they're expecting big increases in graphics there. Will Zen 4 Raptor Lake and RDNA 4 Lovelace make a difference? Yes, in that you're going to get like I think 40, 50 TIs that are as strong as a 3060, if not better. Like we're going to start getting to points where $300 graphics cards don't just beat last, like the 1060, but blow it out of the water. Not 200. I think $200 is pretty much dead guys though, but 300 and up that I think they'll say, all right, you know what? Low end GPUs are way stronger than what the baseline used to be. And now the PS5 is around a 3060 TI. And I do think that will push pc vr forward but i don't think it's going to be as simple because they still the quest 2 and apple and all these other things could be a wild card but that's my answer to the pc side of the question do you think psvr 2 is going to make vr and what, what would you even say mainstream vr is because i don't know that i'd even call it niche anymore i think it's past niche at this point what would you agree with that statement yeah so i guess uh in in the notes I had prepared, I had uh, two things for mainstream. There's like mainstream gaming, and then there's mainstream mainstream. Like your mother would use it. Um, sure. So for gaming, um, I think it will help a lot. Um, I'm I'm hoping it it'll push VR into um, more than just like this expensive accessory that you could get if you wanted to. Like I I hope it if, if there's enough content for it, and we'll we'll keep harping on this probably throughout the rest of the talk. But if there are enough games for it where people want to buy it. Um, I don't necessarily even think the headset has to be that that good. It just you need the the games mm. for it. You need people to want to buy it. Um, we can talk about price about it. I, I think there there is an importance on what it costs to drive this. Like they if they price it uh, prohibitively high, then it will lead it won't it won't hit mainstream gaming quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. To hit mainstream mainstream though, um, I I don't think PSVR two is going to do it. I think PSVR two is going to be too focused on gaming, where. I, I, only gaming people, only gaming focused people will care about it almost. Um, like you have to have a PS5 already to use it. You can't just buy it and like use it on your laptop to do something. Um, That's something I actually got in a, I don't know if debate, but like a bit of a disagreement with, with one of my friends last night. We were playing Deep Rock Galactic and I was saying Sony's kind of squandered the advantage they had. I mean, they're still firm number two, but. They could have dominated VR gaming, I feel like, if they would have pushed harder. Or at least they'd be in a better position now relative to the Quest 2, which has just massively blown them out of the water in terms of market share. And I do think to do that, I don't know, they need to add a concert app, watch a concert in VR, you know, VR chats. They need to add these basic apps to the PlayStation. And he disagreed with me saying it's mostly about gaming, and I'm like... The PlayStation 5 isn't that expensive. If you had the best device for watching a concert for, you know, if you're looking to buy a new house or even an apartment, getting virtual tours of it, using a VR device, shopping on Amazon, you could just have it synced with your PC, press a button, TV turns on, you can look at the device in VR and like, oh, this is what I'm going to buy from Amazon. This is literally how big it is in front of me. Uh, that's not gaming, but whatever. This isn't a $2,000 PC. It's a $400. The discless PS5 is $400. I, I don't know, guys. I remember plenty of bars that just had a PS2 and rock, you know, Guitar Hero for, you know, 
they'd buy a PS2 for that. People would buy PS2s and gaming devices to use non-gaming apps. People would use Wii balance boards in hospitals to weigh people. Like you can use the the Kinect's biggest success was not gaming. It was selling it for like medical imaging or something. There are things you can do with gaming devices that aren't gaming if they're the right price. And I do think Sony's missed that. And I agree. I don't know if it, they'll do it, but if they only focus on gaming, it's only going to be at best the most successful gaming device. It won't be mom and pop successful yeah. mainstream. Yeah. But I, I think Sony's positioning too. I, I don't think it can be as general. Per- like, I don't know why you would buy a PS5 and a VR headset to like look at things on Amazon. You know, it almost like it doesn't compute. It's not, it's not, I, to I don't Sony's think you advantage. would, but I think yeah. how many people already have a PlayStation under their TV yeah. that, that could justify getting a VR device if they oh, used yeah. it for non gaming stuff. Yeah. And they should totally do that. Like, um, like Oculus, um, or I guess we should stop, we should call it Meta or whatever, but. Uh, they have concert apps and they have like live uh, sports mm-hmm. streaming and all of that. Um, but if, because I, I guess if, if Sony's focusing just on, or if Sony focuses on entertainment in general, like entertainment is so much broader than gaming. And you could say, and this is Xbox, I think, tried to go this route at some point. Say like they were an entertainment device, not necessarily just video games. <laughs> well, um, yeah, the problem is they tried to be an entertainment device first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so Sony could totally... Uh, make use of everything it has in its arsenal to have like to to implement these experiences um and i think you mentioned before like sony does a lot more than just gaming like they sell cameras um they make a bunch of devices mm-hmm. like they they have all of all of the infrastructure necessary to like live stream concerts like they could do this um it's just if they want to they have enough money to um well you know and i guess kind of to connect another synapse and people's brains listening here on what my point is i remember a day where the most popular netflix streaming device what it was literally it literally was the ps3 then 360 and then even though you had to i think put a disc in to make it work the wii which is just hilarious to me and i heard the netflix app on the wii wasn't that great but people used it for that there was a day where you would have a console and you'd be like hey it also plays dvds it also plays netflix Everything has built-in Netflix now. You don't need a console to do that. I understand, but I don't think there's. it should be ignored that you can use these powerful consoles for other things because they used to do that, and people used to buy PlayStations and Xboxes not for gaming sometimes. And I think where the Xbox One messed up wasn't in trying to do other things. It was forgetting it had to do the number one thing well. Yeah. And like, yeah, I used to, uh, my, my PS3 was used for Netflix until I took that from my parents and then we got them a DVD player or a Blu-ray player that did it, which is dumb. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's an argument to be made about the friction of all of this. Like if you have one device that does everything, it's a lot less friction. Uh, like you don't have to mess with HDMI inputs. You don't have to change inputs on the TV. It's a lot easier to do everything. Um, it's, and it's just, it's a lot simpler. Um, so I, I really think people overlook that aspect of things. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if they were like, you could even sell it. Like, if you actually did it really well, like really, really well, you did like these VR balls that were like on a pole in some parts of the world, and you could just like put on your VR device and like actually look in like 4K per eye and look around and be and feel like you're in a different country. There are <laughs> things we can use this for that are not just playing games that have a, a widespread appeal. That's where you get it to go mainstream, but. I think the price is half of it, though, because oh, yeah, this yeah. is unproven. And I think I think people need to remember that, like, 
what I, you know, people are justifying a lot of premium stuff right now in the electronic sphere. But at first they didn't. Smartphones were far cheaper than they are now. And that's because if the iPhone was $1,500 when it first came out, no one would have bought it, you know, because no one thought I'm not paying that much for a phone. But then you have smartphones become standard things everyone has for 10 years. And people go, yeah, I use this more than anything. So I'll pay twice as much. And I don't think VR is there. I think right now everything needs to be priced like you're trying to get people in the door. And so I think any VR device over $300 is just taking out a pistol and shooting itself in the knee. And it's like, okay, you're just going to be another footnote. Like I'm just like I'm telling you, you're another footnote unless it's so cheap. People are like, yeah, I'll try this out. Yeah, and I, I honestly don't disagree. I, I think there will always be a market for the higher end of things, like the VAR, V-A-R-J-O company, I don't know how to say that. They have, like, really, really high-end headsets that have, um, I think, it's like, th- there's a bunch of metrics on how you measure headsets, mm-hmm. but it's basically, like, retina display quality headsets um, With if you use Apple's marketing. And I always think there would be a market for that, um, and there would be specific people that buy it, but that's not what's going to make it mainstream. That's not what's going to drive adoption. I, I really agree with you on the price. Like, if this PSVR 2 is $500 on top of the console, no. If it's 300 I think that's a lot more viable of a product. And I think it can be because... I think the Quest 2 is, like, a slight profit for 300 bucks right now. So that has 6 gigabytes of RAM... A battery, an SOC, a bunch wire wireless capability. <laughs> the PlayStation VR two, I know now. I I mean, well, they've even announced the specs, so there you go. Um, doesn't have RAM, doesn't have any of this SOC crap. So right there, you just pull out fifty bucks, and if you just reinvest that into a nicer screen and better cameras for tracking, the I don't see why this should cost any more unless they want to make a profit on it, which. I don't think they should aim to make a big profit. I think there's no reason this should cost more than $300. And if they bundle that with a discless PS4 Slim, let's say, next year uh, during the holiday season, I bet they could even justify taking 100 bucks off the whole package. So now you have $600, you get a PS5, you get a VR device, you know, but then it's going to have to have the game. So, yeah. but if any of them or the, if they or their competitors continue to make this more than 300 I just don't think anyone gets it. Yep. Completely agree. And then hopefully, too, if there's if there's specific um, PlayStation VR games, hopefully they'll do what they've been doing with PC games and after some exclusive period, bring them to PC VR as well. And that'll just help everyone. Yeah, the biggest selling point would be if not only the PSVR 2 is $300 for the full package, but then you could play Half-Life Alex on it. <laughs> like, yeah. They need that so badly. Yeah. And, you know, almost to my surprise, you look at like Steam VR and Basically, every Steam VR game supports the Quest 2 natively now. So, Valve has shown a willingness to play ball with whatever people are using to play. Yeah, and I, I almost don't know if it's... Well, yeah, I, I guess it is Valve, because Valve is the one controlling Steam. But um, because because Steam is just a marketplace, I wonder how much control they actually have at the end of the day. Um, but no, Valve, um, with Orange Box, did support consoles at some point, like when they used to make video games. I, I don't see mm-hmm. why they wouldn't support the PS5 for a VR version of, or a PS5 version of um, Half-Life Alex. It's just like free money for them too. Like they already made the game. Why not do it? Yeah. And there's a certain, I mean, they haven't brought it to the pers- first, uh, to the PS4, but I think there's an argument of like, well, the first PS4 is pretty weak. Why bother with something that will ruin the experience when we know they have something better coming? And yeah. plus that gives us a few years of exclusivity on our own headset. 
Yeah. Yep. Well, so, I mean, like, what types of, how many games do you think it would need to be successful, though? Like, for PSVR 2, or for, like, a Quest 3, like, what type, like, do you need a Half-Life Alex? Because Half-Life Alex hasn't really, I guess I don't know. I guess a lot of people probably have just bought the Quest 2 for Half-Life Alex instead of an Index. I'd be interested. So all of the marketing for Quest 2 does not make it clear you can um, connect it to a like a, a normal desktop computer and play games. So I, I'm interested to know how many people actually have bought that headset for that game. Um, I, I, I think you need something more than Half-Life Alex. So Half-Life Alex was almost a AAA game, but I think about half the hours of Half-Life 2, if I remember correctly. Um, I, I think you definitely need something like that. One like more than one of those. Um, if you could get to a full AAA game, um, I think that'd be interesting. And maybe people just haven't done it because there's a lot of ergonomic issues with wearing VR headsets for a long time. But I, I think you need games that are of the caliber of you would just play them with a controller um, to really get people to invest and want to use it. Um, there, there was Maybe a f- like a Warhawk. They like That's a PlayStation IP with fighter jets. So there, there's one where you can sit oh, in a yeah, chair. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Flight Simulator. There have been a lot of people just getting Quest 2s to play Microsoft Flight Simulator. And they, it's not, it's, it's a, again, like a community-supported thing where you have to get mods to make it work. But it's been working, and people have been liking it. So, um, yeah, I, Flight Simulator, anything that's like first-person um, as a video game. Um, I think well, you know, let me well. say this, though. I bet half of the people that got the Quest 2 got it to play Half-Life Alex. Here's why. Anyone buying a VR device right now is a nerd like us and is willing to Google how to make it work. I just think that that's not going to cut it to go mainstream. Well, and... yeah. Well, do you think... So my impression of the Quest 2 is with its who it was trying to target in its marketing, it was getting more normies. So like people who aren't necessarily nerds and they're just using the like on on quest games or like the, sure. the VR fitness apps. But there instance. are degrees of dorkiness, I would say. And yeah. I'd still say if you've only sold 10 million copies or 10 million units, I should say, of the quest two, I I'm gonna say you're in the top one percent of gamers still probably in terms of like how much they care. Not for all of them. It does work by itself. So there are some of these being gifted to moms, I'm sure. Yeah. But you know, you see you You'd be surprised how little the average gamer actually knows about anything coming out compared to even someone willing to Google basic stuff, I would say. They just yeah. buy it and get mad at and it or guess, something half the yeah, time. Gaming has become more mainstream, and as mm. as all of the newspapers will tell you, Gen Z is more hip on the tech from the beginning. So, yeah, I guess I could see it. But so you think... I, I think it takes more than one game i i really do think it takes they need oh, yeah. to get like for playstation as the example they need a half-life alex they need whatever horizon game they say is going to work on it to not just be an on rails 10 minute game it better yep. be a full game by the way because i yep. don't see any proof yet it is for or or games. half or half game like alex was not a full half-life game but enough more content than just like you sit down once and it's over I will say I've played it long enough now that it's longer than I expected. Though. Yeah, it definitely is. I, it's like 30 hours, right? It's yeah, just, so it's yeah. pretty big. Yeah, it's just but, not um, 60 hours. No. Um, like, I'd say it's longer maybe than what was it? Half-Life ep- 2, hep- Episode 1 and 2. Okay. Maybe it's, it's, it's probably uh-huh. like longer than both of those combined, in my opinion. Okay, But maybe not as long as Half-Life 
two, I, although honestly in my playtime, maybe I'm just messing around in a lot. I'm getting kind of a Half-Life 2 length, but I beat Half-Life 2 so many times, I have no idea how long my first playthrough was. That was probably like, yeah, like 40 or 50 hours. It's yeah. No, it's not that long. I think I'm almost done. Anyways, though, but I think they would need like five big games. They need like that Warhawk yeah. game. They need like a jet, a fighter jet. And same with the Quest 3. They need exclusives, reasons to buy this. Yeah. And the one that does is the one that's going to get all the market share as long as it's below 300 bucks, I think. Yeah. And I don't know if they necessarily have to be exclusives. I know exclusives are the best uh, for any of these big companies to invest in it. True. Um, but like Super Hot is cross-platform, still one of the best uh, games on Quest. Uh, Beat Saber is cross-platform, still one of the best games on Quest. Like, I don't know necessarily like if you need that platform exclusivity. Um, hopefully it's not, it's just time limited and it everything gets helped at some point. Yeah, let me rephrase what I mean, what I what I would say. I would say you need 10 killer games yep. that work yep. as the best experience or yep. tie as the best experience on your device. So yep. that could be again, hypothetical. Warhawk, Horizon, Super Hot, Beat Saber, Half-Life Alex, Flight Simulator. They need well, that's Microsoft, so I guess uh, probably not. Yeah, one's not going to happen, but uh, probably not. Um, but you know, uh, you know, some version of some open world like Resident Evil 8, yep. I think is a likely candidate. Which, um, and that would one up Quest 2 cuz they're getting what Resident Evil 4. Mhm. They have Resident graphics. Evil 4 now. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah. 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 So, or we know, actually, you know what would be really funny? I we know that it's all but confirmed. If that, I think it is literally, it's good. It was in the GeForce leak, I think, of games coming out, which has proven to be hilariously <laughs> just completely true. Um, what a mistake! But I believe, uh, as anyone would expect, they made Resident Evil 2 remake, 3 remake, they're making a four remake. So it's conceivable they might literally have the next gen graphics Resident Evil nice. 4 in it to compare to the Quest version. Yeah. Which, yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah, if, if basically if, if Sony wants to focus on games as content, they need the content, like they need the games. Um, one thing I heard is uh, VR adoption. What, what you see is like uh, people get the device and then they use it a lot for like a few weeks and then mm -hmm. it just drops off and they never pick it up again. And I, I really do think it's that content coming at, mm -hmm. at, at a reasonable pace. Um, to get people to be like, oh, well, I did this. I enjoyed that. Let's get the next thing and keep going with it. Um, you so. know, so I would say, yeah, they need at least one big VR release per year, maybe two. Yep. And some of those can just be they added a VR version of Resident Evil 8 and then one of four. Some of two. those can be an entirely new game. Some of them could be, hey, Half-Life comes to PlayStation VR 2 on this year. But there needs to be at least two tent poles for people who want it every year. And then I actually think they just need to prove they care and they want to win and pay to start adding VR experiences into a few AAA games a year. Does that mean you have, you know, something huge? Maybe not, but, like, there's no reason. I don't know. I'm, tr I'm trying to think of an example. There's no reason, like, you can't have like a kill zone game come out and then there is a small flight level that works in vr in that game add something to make people happy that they're using their device every year add something so that if someone's looking to get a third-party game they're like well this one is supported on my you know i think they and quest need to do that like you need to have that argument for why you would get it on your platform and not others yeah, no, I completely agree. The and th that's where because I have a quest too as well. I 
and I'm, I'm less into gaming, but yeah, the, the amount of stuff that I don't want to do on it, I, I guess is almost a way to say that. Like there's not, there's no real game that makes me want to play it. Um, if I would be a more reticent person to, to play games on it. And that's why I've mainly been focusing on like doing the productivity stuff, but, um, let me move on then to kind of more VR development questions here from the fans. Timo H writes in, he says, to my disappointment, the guest is not Carmack, but we are talking about Oculus. Could you perhaps shed light on how big of an effect a superstar like Carmack had on Oculus and Quest? Sure, everything these days is made up of teams of hundreds of thousands of people that work together, but how big of an impact do one of these singular personalities have on a project or product in reality? Yeah. So from the information I know, I think Carmack did have a big influence on the early uh, Oculus devices, um, but like early, early. So Gear VR, Go, which we haven't talked about really either of those, um, the first Quest and the first Rift. I, I do think he had a he had an outsized influence on those as uh, projects. Um, I don't know if, how public this was. I, I've seen some articles recently that talk about it. He's kind of stepped down. Um, from facebook he he's in like uh he's like a co he's like a cto of oculus or something but it's he like stepped down to a part-time position or something so i i think he's had less control over the device or like the product line um probably since quest um but i will say he he's an incredible engineer like uh every everything that the question is basically asking is true for Carmack. Um, like his presence in the organization helped it be better. Um, I, I think we, I, I think the question though, overall is I, I don't like in general. So, um, any mm. of the, any of these tech people that are known outside of people who work with them, like the, the Elon Musk's, the Steve jobs, our personalities that we know outside of just the company. Yeah. yeah. And this is why Carmack is weird that he's so well known. And I think it's because he was such an integral player in uh, the video game industry. Um, and that's why he's so well known. And like the video game industry has gotten so big. Um, but if you think about like other people who've gotten popular, like Zuckerberg, um, Musk, Jobs, they're not popular for some of them. Definitely well known. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, they're not I, I wouldn't say they're not technical people like they're not necessarily the most technical people i could think of their their um their participation in a product i wouldn't necessarily think would make it or break it like musk has a horrible track record for actually shipping things um mm -hmm. but Car carmack is one that i will say i i think he did help the organization a lot at the beginning especially when oculus was a startup i think he 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 attached himself to Oculus pretty early on. Like he, I, I think the story was um, the founder, Palmer Lucky, like would send him VR headsets to try out and like id software. That's why like Doom VR existed early on was because he was just getting headsets to try out. And I think he helped a lot early on of um, like the, there's concepts called like asynchronous time warp and asynchronous space warp. Um, I think those, those, their, their efforts to reduce latency between like frames being drawn and the headset orientation changing. And I think Carmack was a big part of all of that. Mm -hmm. So he was one of those hands-on people. Yeah. And, and again, just bear with me, people, when I make the comparison, I'm only talking about in these examples I've given kind of, kind of like a Steve Jobs where it's like, no, he's literally picking up the device and saying, this doesn't work as well as it should. I'm telling you, we need to nail this better. Uh, more than that, he was implementing the fixes. 
Okay. So even, yeah. yeah, so not just the vision and the knowing what you actually need, but also knowing how it gets done. Yeah. And doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, actually, I think he's still to this day. Uh, so he is what people think of when they think of like yeah. a CEO who gets his hands dirty. Literally, yeah. he is. Yeah. Yeah. And he was never the CEO of, well, so he was the CEO of id, I guess. Um, and he had a space company, but he was never the CEO of Oculus. And even when it joined in. No, Facebook, but I think that's what yeah. people think CEOs do. And most of the time they don't do a lot of that hands up. Uh, yeah. on stuff yeah i i think cto might have some assumption to do more of that stuff and i they don't but he does <laughs> yeah okay so swiggles writes in and he says describe the priority that engine optimization of the xr2 takes in development software and hardware alike looking at the games its ethos to me is re- reminiscent of the ps3 almost you either specialize in the rsx or you go home to your family on time i know it's still general purpose i more I mean more squeezing every frame out at 75 plus frames per second. Okay, yeah. So I have some thoughts on this. This one I took a lot of notes on. Uh, real quick question. RSX? Uh, and the PlayStation 3. It, that was just a specific part yeah, of the you know, architecture? I'm trying to remember which part of it it even was. Uh, you know, RSX, PS3. Let me look here. Isn't it real time? The Yes, it's short for reality synthesizer. That's the graphics processing unit. So that actually, yeah, the RXX wasn't really the problem either, Squiggles. The RSX was just a converted GT, uh, GTX 7800. So that wasn't the issue. The issue with the PlayStation 3, and I, I heard long-term it wasn't even a big issue. The cell processor just worked differently than other things. It's not that that was necessarily hard. It's just like, oh my God, really? I just have to like completely change how we compile our code for this one platform? Yep. That was that, but that's what he's hinting at is that the PS3 required so much separate level specific optimizations over just making something for an IBM or x86 processor, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah. So I will, I do want to push back a little bit on this question. I don't think it's the same at, at that level. So the PS, the cell processor was PowerPC, that was its architecture. Yeah, and it was a weird it was a weird okay. version of PowerPC. Yeah. yeah, so the XR2 is basically just a Snapdragon. Like I I think you can just google which Snapdragon processor it is. I did. Um, it, it, it's ba- I forgot what it's like basically some version of an 865 or something, I think. Yeah, so it's just an ARM64 processor. There's nothing different about it from the one that ships in a cell phone. Um I don't I so I guess what I will say is um the way and this was kind of the part I worked on when I was there. Um there's this foundational layer. It used to be the Oculus mobile SDK. It's now an OpenXR implementation. Um, but what a lot of engineers at Meta will do is spend a lot of time implementing this um, API. Um, and this gets into another question too, but there's this cross-platform unified API that a bunch of companies are bought into. Um, so Oculus engineers or Meta engineers um, implement all of the the bits and pieces that are that are specific to the XR2. So the XR2, I think, is the Snapdragon with some media accelerators um, mm-hmm. that can do some VR parts more efficiently. So all of this is going to be abstracted away from the OpenXR API that you're given as a developer. Um, so from there, you have a few options. Um, so the next part of the question is talking about game engine optimization. Um, so basically, there are two engines that work on the Quest platform. It's the Unity and Unreal. So you can just pick a game engine, and then you really don't care about anything. Um, you don't care about any of the OpenXR details. You just code to Unity or Unreal's API. The other thing you can do is just take the OpenXR API, which is what I do in my personal project. Um, but I wouldn't say you're really 
you're not really optimizing anything specific for the platform. You're optimizing towards this shared API surface that has some optional extensions, but it is a much higher level interface than like writing assembly that's specific mm-hmm. for the XR2 or its media accelerators. Um, a lot of the work that went into, I, I guess, Oculus shipping products um, were things I brought up before, asynchronous time warp, asynchronous space warp. There's now application space warp. These are all like runtime features that I don't even think you can turn on or off. They're just enabled. I think you can opt into the last one. But um, uh, uh, so a lot of what you have to do with VR development isn't really, uh, you you don't really have to hand optimize, I guess, unlike traditional Mm -hmm. video game development. So it's not hard to develop for the XR2 specifically or anything like that. No, I, I almost think if you do any quest development, it's all, it's almost irrelevant what the platform is actually like the the actual architecture and chipset that it's using. Um, if if everything is done properly, if if Meta uh, exposes enough of its API surface in the proper way, if it doesn't, I don't think you can really get at it. Um, I don't think it's it's not it's not like what PCs used to be in the nineties. All right, so we're on the subject of kind of the specs and hardware of the Quest Two, and I, and I know there's. Like you've been pretty clear there's stuff you just can't tell me or us, but generally speaking, what do you think the Quest 3 should do well to be successful over the Quest 2? And and again, just to kind of set the stage, I, I, I'm i starting to get a decent amount of, I mean, the specs, again, of the PSVR 2 are for the most part entirely public. I'm starting to get input from developers, and it sounds more impressive than I expected it to be, because when I got the Quest 2, I actually expected the PSVR 2. I was like, oh, I don't think Sony has a chance. Now I'm starting to change my mind again, because they say so many good things about it. But I mean, like, it's going to be entering into a world where there's probably a $300 device that if you put it with a $400 console, it can play games and graphics that kind of make a mockery of Half-Life Alex, and you plug it in and it works. Now, it's not wireless, granted, so that is a huge setback, but we still have yet to see how flexible and high quality the cable is, if it's a big issue or not for some people. Uh, what do you think the Quest 2 has to do well? Or Quest yeah. 3, I should say. Yeah, so yeah. So in terms of like insider information, my time at the company ended before I would have known anything about the Quest 3. Basically, like the Quest 2, uh, like I knew before, but it it's launched, it doesn't matter. Um, so Basically, before the PSVR 2 was announced, there wasn't really any competition coming from um, or coming from Meta, mm-hmm. Oculus, the Quest devices. They were basically free to do whatever they wanted. Um, I So from Quest to Quest 2, I think they did a really good thing, which was bringing the price down. That's basically what they focused on. Um, they made it more powerful, brought the price down, and increased display resolution, which I thought was a very good thing to do. Now that there's competition, though, um, like there's there's a rumored Index 2 coming out from Valve, which I'm sure will match or beat um, mm. the Quest specs, d- definitely probably try to match the PSVR 2. Uh, then the next Quest has to match that. Like it has to stand up to the competition and be a useful product. It has to be at least the same, if not better, than the specs of the PSVR 2. Um, so we, we hit an interesting point on that. So where Sony is, um, Sony's approach is they use their their video game console. So they have their their compute device that's separate from the headset itself. Um, Oculus went in the other direction. So instead of mm-hmm. shipping like the Rift or the Rift S line, which got killed off, they killed it off in favor of the Quest, which is standalone, has its own compute on it. The and I think they nailed the performance, by the way, and came out at the perfect time to yeah. have enough performance to run the early VR games well. Yeah, yeah. Quest 2 is amazing. And if you pair Quest 2 with a like a, a PC, 
perfectly fine. Like it will still stand as a great device, no matter what Quest Three is. If assuming it improves uh, display resolution, it will be a great device to use with a computer. I where it gets more problematic is there's going to be this internal struggle between making the displays higher resolution and being able to like drive those. So the mm-hmm. there's going to be a fight between being able to have better processors. I mean, this is kind of, and this is where maybe like talking about the the future Intel and AMD architectures and NVIDIA architectures helps, where we're, it seems like we're going to be doubling performance with the same power envelope, which is good. This is a great thing for these VR devices. Um, um I think, <laughs> I think NVIDIA is going to bring 40 to like 70% more performance in the same power envelope. And then the one that doubles power, uh, performance is not in the same envelope and i'd say amd is probably going to bring it's about the same i think they're i know one of their initial goals was 50 percent more performance at the same power consumption but they're going to up power by like 30 percent or something for a couple okay. models so let, let's just assume in same power consumption we're getting 50 percent more to be fair though the xr2 is a little old now it's yeah. not like so i think yeah. Yes, I agree that we're going to get double the power, but it's not just from the newest things. It's because yeah. it's kind of getting old. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so hopefully, and, and this is, the like, Qualcomm's line is entirely separate. Um, like, I, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've had any, like, Qualcomm leaks. So, like, you can try to estimate the performance of, like, the next year's flagship or something. I, I have been doing that in the background while I've been talking to a couple sources. I think what it seems like is likely to be the XR3 will have roughly... 80 to 130 percent more performance i mean if you look at raw teraflops it's a little over double the teraflops bandwidth seems like almost double so yeah, i don't know okay. how much more the architecture is going to help but i think we're looking at about double the performance yeah okay. the xr3 okay so then if we have um so i guess you'd have to do the math of the psvr2's display to whatever the quest 2 is the quest 2 is already pretty high end so it might not it's not going to be like a doubling of the display density but we're saying then like yeah maybe the quest 2 will actually improve graphical fidelity maybe this won't be an issue yet that it's like tethered to its own compute to be able to, for its to be able to do its graphical fidelity um but yeah, I, I think there's going to be some point in the market where it's it's like these devices can be standalone, but it's just they need to start leaning on. Um, they have you could potentially have another um, another compute device, basically, like you connect to your PC or they, they're not going to be able to keep up. Like if if a PS6 comes out and there's a VR headset for it, it's just going to be so much better than whatever these standalone devices can be. Um, so you're at a, the quest three either, um, can continue to focus on gaming where it will lose, um, or it tries to get into like product, some other like productivity, general purpose computing, where it makes more sense for that to be useful for a standalone device, which is more what I was talking about. Like the stuff I care about is more, you take this thing anywhere. It has a decent battery life. And all you're really doing at the end of the day is like compositing images from some computer somewhere. Like it doesn't have to be the end all be all compute device. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how everyone competes in this space. Um, I, I definitely think price is going to be a big factor. Like if if the Sony headset is 300 and the Quest is the same price, but your your graphical fidelity is double on the, the Sony device. Like I, I don't know. That's that's where like it, it'll be interesting to see how how everything plays out with if people care about it being tethered, if they just say, I don't care anymore. Like the the things I cared about the tethering was not that it was tethered. It was how complicated the tethering was. If it's just yes. one, if it's one cable, then we'll see. 
And it remains to be seen because I don't know. I, all I've used is the worst case and the best case. I've only used horrible four cables plugged into the back of a PC with driver issues or a PSVR 1 that had to have like another PS4 put on top of your PS4 with three cables. I only know that in Quest 2, which is wireless. I don't know the one cable world. I, I, I don't, yeah. you know, which is squarely in the middle. Um, but yeah, I think. I think we can say what it probably needs to do. What made the Quest 2 successful? Like, Oh, so I, I honestly think it was the price. Like, the, it was an insane price. The 300 that was cheaper than anything that's ever existed for VR headsets. And it the fact that it didn't skimp on, like, it didn't degrade any specs. The resolution. Like it, yeah, yeah, it had better better display resolution, It more powerful processor, and was the cheapest that has ever existed. Like, all of that was just like, yeah, of course, why wouldn't you buy this? There's literally nothing else that comes anywhere close to it. But now something's going to come close to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I agree. I think what the Quest 3 needs to be is, I believe the PSVR 2, so right now the PSVR 2 is, it's going to be 16, yeah, 16% 16 more pixels per eye than the Quest 2. I, don't, I think that's probably perfect without going insane, to be honest. I mean, I think the Quest Two could benefit from a bit more of a resolution, but it's enough. I will say things in the distance look a little blurry sometimes, but I don't know how much of that oh. is like all of the... Yeah, this gets into a different thing. So all of the displays uh, have a focal length. They're basically hard-coded to a focal length right now. I think the Quest... Carmack has posted this on Twitter publicly. It's like 1.2 meters, whatever that means. So there's a point where things will be the most clear in the distance, and then closer or further away, they'll be a little bit more blurry. This gets into a whole other thing on VR headsets, if it's ever supported. Um, but it's it's called like variable focal planes, um, where the the headset can actually change the distance which it wants you to look at based on like where you are actually looking in the scene. So it can accommodate basically if you're looking in the background of something and change change it how your eye changes its focal distance. Yeah, yeah, and I put that tweet in the uh, description for everybody. So I, I guess what I'm saying though is, its resolution is about good enough. You know, Sony adding fifteen percent more. Sounds good to me because any more you add, you're lowering fidelity because it's harder to drive that. I really think what the Quest Two should fo Quest Three should focus on is double graphics performance, increase clarity a little bit. Everything else just make it cheaper. If you got it to two fifty, man, is that thing gonna sell? <laughs> yeah, Wait, I, exactly. But and also in the current market, like. So we have rec what record inflation in the last twenty years, and we're improving things. That's where it's it's almost. That's like, what I understand why it might yeah. have to be like three fifty. I under yeah yeah yeah, but yeah it it yeah, and this is why this is it's it's good that we're going to finally have competition in this space. Like more companies will actually devote some effort to making a real VR device instead of it basically just being one company at a time. I do think this, the, uh, here's, here's kind of like something I've been thinking about, you know, while I've been preparing for this episode in the back of my mind. I think in the beginning, it was super niche, super boutique, super expensive. It sucked. You needed four cables. It was $1,000. But the alternative was the virtual voice. So we can understand why it was so expensive and had drawbacks. Then it got a little cheaper. Now we're getting to a point where, you know... I, I think it doesn't suck. And I think the Quest 2 hit at the perfect time where the level of fidelity it offered for the resolution worked well for the early VR games that were now hassle-free. And I, I just feel like Meta stumbled into the ideal VR device, but it's not going to be ideal anymore and we're getting 
100 teraflop graphics cards soon. <laughs> so I think what we're going to have is this midterm where you're going to have to tether it to something and you're going to want to make that as least annoying as possible. But once we get to like two nanometer chips or when Intel starts marketing them as angstrom or whatever the heck they're calling them now, I think the like AMD's Phoenix isn't strong enough for this, although it is certainly way stronger than what's in the Quest 2 and 3. I think what you're going to want is once you get, because yeah, like right now AMD is like, I don't even know, like 25 watt APU, 15 watt APU gets you about 1050 Ti performance. And then Phoenix is going to probably get you 1660 performance. And then uh, maybe, you know, and then if, if they can double that again, though, if they can get that to like 3070 performance and then get that to work in 15 watts on like two nanometer, put it in a device for even 400 bucks and you sell it to someone and you're just like, hey, you take this, press the on button, play all games. I'd rather just pay an extra couple hundred dollars to make my VR device run the entire thing in it on battery for two hours than have to set up anything. And latency isn't just solved. You're never getting better latency than the thing on your head. Yep. Yeah, which is an interesting point. Because, yeah, I was about to say we... But we can't do that now. It just uses too much energy. We need to get to yeah, like two nanometer. Yeah. I mean, if we can get a like a twenty watt thirty seventy performance graphics card, that that's an insane like improvement wise. I feel like that's a little more than a few years away. Well, let me think about it. Um, and this is something I'm heavily discussing with some VR developers. Like now that they're like programming games to the metal for like the PS 5s VR, I'm like, how strong is this console again? And they're like, oh, that's a, uh, actually. Can I jump in? Are they not using OpenXR then? It's I don't. I didn't hard ask. coded. Okay, if if you can ask, because if if they're hard coded, don't over for, read yeah. into me saying hard coded. I don't. You know, I, yeah. I, don't quote me. I I haven't yeah. specifically asked, but they're they're developing around the strengths, shall we say, of the PS5's sure. architecture, which is interesting. I'll put this in a leak eventually. Basically, what I'm told is, in terms of like explosions, it's around a 2070. In terms of like pixel throughput, it's a 2080 Ti. And then so if you Maybe just tone down a couple of the special effects. You can probably get it to perform around a 3070, 3060 Ti or better. If you do nothing, it's usually around a 2080. So, so that's the type of performance. So that type of performance in an APU then, the P, let's just call it 2080 Super 3060 Ti. Well, what, that type of, what's, the, what's the TDP of the PS5? It's hundreds of watts, right? That's what I was about to say. Okay. So, so we're getting 3060 Ti SoC, not just the graphics card, the processor, RAM, all of it. Like 200 watts. So let's say by RDNA 4, not RDNA 3, RDNA 4, we're getting that down to like 180 watts. I think you're, yeah, I think you're getting to 2070 is about half that, not half that performance, but like weaker. So I think it is conceivable. Yes, on two nanometer, we have 2070 performance in like a 15 watt APU. I think that's where we just about get to it. Okay. Yeah, so that that's an interesting thing because um, I was almost lamenting the fact that like Meta went in this direction with the like the compute on device, um, which I, I guess was taken from like the history of like nothing improving for ten years. But yeah, if we yes. imp if we improve that, it quickly, came out at the perfect time. I yeah, think. like right yeah. when we hit that. Because um, another interesting note is the intern. What I've heard internally is Apple um is also kind of lamenting the fact that they went in the standalone uh compute device because of thermal issues and mm -hmm. lack of performance. Like um we talked about if they would put in like an M1 Ultra performance level on your face but you can't like it's too much heat. No. <laughs> um so yeah, so like you go this route where you put the thing on your face 
and you're limited in how much you can do. But yeah, if we're if we're getting these performance improvements. Yeah. But that's why I think there's going to be this awkward period where we got to look into the future with the Quest 2. And now it's like, but we can't do that in that amount of power consumption again for a while. Yeah. Um, I will say this, though. You know, I had a network engineer on Broken Silicon a couple of years ago, and he was talking about how Wi-Fi 6 and especially Wi-Fi 6E allows you to get near instant or latency over Wi-Fi that is rivals Ethernet in ideal scenarios. It seems like it's just Wi-Fi 6, not 6E, and 6E actually adds like a 6 gigahertz band. So that yeah. is important. And what I don't know, though, is if they could have done this, though, because I'm still wondering, because the early rumors I heard about the PSVR 2 was that they were looking into making it wirelessly connected to the PS5, but... And in fact, a recent guest of mine came on or, or, or someone I talked to recently said, yeah, it's weird it uses USB-C because it was communicating without it for a while. I think it needs it for power. And I'm like, oh, so is it mostly for power? Did they really just do this to save money? And I, I, what we don't know, an unknown that's out there is if there will be a wireless version of PSVR 2 that comes a couple of years later once they establish it. And I don't know because... Again, we talk about having the thing self-contained. Maybe it's a non-issue if they just launch a $500 version for those who care that's wireless. And I don't think anyone will complain if in the future we all have VR devices and it just connects to your laptop, yeah. you know, or your PlayStation 5, and it just sends it over 6E and it works well enough. Yep. It's never going to be as good as on the device, but... That might be good enough. Uh, there's also something after 6E. So uh, the 802.11ay spec is a 60 gigahertz connection. I think we're going to hit that at some point. So mm -hmm. when I was at Facebook, they were working on a thing called Terragraph, which was to do, uh, it was basically to bring internet to areas that don't have good internet coverage. Um, but it used these 60 gigahertz connections in like a mesh network. Um, it was mm. basically like a bunch of Wi-Fi hotspots, and then you would connect to one, and it would it would move all of it, the traffic to like real Ethernet cables at some point. Um, that that thing, if you look it up, it's insane. Like the the amount of throughput it can do, it's like forty four gigabit per second connections wirelessly. Mm -hmm. um, and usually the the receivers can do more than one stream at a time. Like when when we hit something like that, I think all of this is going to be a non issue. And and that gigabit per second does matter. I'm right. Uh, HDMI, HDMI 2.1, I believe, is 48 gigabit per second. So there you go. You can now stream yep. the proper resolution wirelessly, yeah. which is another bottleneck right now. And like a whole thing with Quest 2 gaming over a router, they're like, you don't need the newest router, but you need one capable of sending yeah. a gigabit of data or it looks like crap. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so the one stream on 60 gigahertz is only 44. But yeah, we'll... And there was a reader mail about this. I think we're going to hit it. I think wireless is going to be more important as we move on. I think all all like non-Sony, non-Quest headsets will also continue to make themselves wireless and they'll connect to a, a PC in, in a very similar fashion. Yeah, my dream for the PSVR 2 is if they had a surprise dongle you can buy for $100 that yeah. makes it wireless. Yeah, you know? also, But of course, if there's no battery built in the but you never know. They could have like a battery you put on your back or something. Yeah, if, if the cable's only for power, then just like strap a battery to the headset plug it in you're good they could sell like a whole second half thing you can yeah. attach to yeah. it which the quest 2 has like how it does it yes yeah that's interesting that'd be really cool if they did that eventually is and that'd be a way to get you in the door it's like oh 300 dollars. <laughs> here's another 200 we can make it wireless that'd be yeah. actually 
very intelligent if they did that. But all of this is actually going to make me skip ahead briefly to one reader mail here. Manor Down writes in and he says, I'm literally putting on my tinfoil hat with this question, but I might be doing so because I'm worried I need it to protect my head. How much concern do you have with a computer strapped to your head? If in the future VR and AR headsets have the hardware in the headset, are we playing with fire? Are we all going to get brain cancer? I'm worried because of a large battery RF antenna so close to the brain for large periods of time. Yeah, so uh, I'm not a doctor, uh, so this will not be medical advice. My question on this is, through all of the studies on cell phones, what is the part that's supposed to cause cancer? I think it was the cellular signaling part, not even the Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Okay, because all of these signals are hitting you. Like, the the electromagnetic field uh, or, like, wave exists always. Like, it's going through your body. Is it just the fact that it's being picked up by something to turn into My memory, My memory is that they think the thing that could cause cancer, maybe, and most data I've read seems to suggest this is from much older phones that exerted more radiation, is a minor amount of radiation that came off of this, like, the 1G chip or something in the 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G part of the chipset exerts a small amount of radiation and that's what because you're right because you're always walking through wi-fi yeah. signals so yeah you know although i was cancer rates are going up in the west so who knows what that could be caused by or it could be chemicals could be well but, also lifetimes are extending like as you get true. older your chance of cancer goes I, up i have heard though like childhood cancer is skyrocketing though in yeah. some areas well so, microplastics but, I think it's probably plastics too, though. So yeah. right now, what I would say is as long as you don't have a 5G LTE chip in the VR device, it's probably unlikely to hurt your brain. I'm not a doctor, though, but that's yeah. that's my understanding because you have to think about what is this chip exerting that everything isn't already bombarding you with anyways. Yeah, well, so, okay, so we're, we're, we're merging uh, the cell, like basically the, the way that cellular works now and the way Wi-Fi works are like merging to get more and more similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the 60 gigahertz connection, uh, I think uh, 5G, it's not 60 gigahertz, it's like 10 gigahertz. It's some, it's some lower, but we're increasing the frequency um, mm-hmm. of the electromagnetic spectrum. But they're going to merge at some point. Like at some point, if the 60 gigahertz connection exists, and that's like 802.11ay, which is quote unquote Wi-Fi. Like what is, like what is the thing that's supposed to be hurting you? Like is it the, is it the, the frequency of the signal that is hurting you? I think it's literally a different radioactive thing coming off of part of the chip. And it doesn't seem to happen much anymore. They just yeah. think maybe early cell phones. Yeah, if it was... Know. Yeah, this is where it, people should do more research. But yeah, I, based on how like technology has gone, I don't think there's actually any connection between these things. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is more of a tinfoil hat thing, but I hope I'm not wrong because I use too much of these things. I was going to say, because that is something to think about, and they are worried, like, holding cell phones next to your head to this day. Like, who knows what it yeah. is in the chip doing that, exerting the small amounts of radiation. Like, is it the same as if I put my head next to my 3070 while I'm gaming? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> you know, yeah, is my answer. I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so I guess that's a non-answer to that question. <laughs> I guess we're skeptical. It's yeah. dangerous, but... I mean, yeah, but it's like, new. We're not ruling it out. <laughs> well, I'm trying to see where to go next with this because it's time to start kind of getting to some of these wrap up questions. Um, 
Today's video is brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com. Now that I've got my compact Alder Lake benchmarking system done, I'm free to test a lot of graphics cards in both Windows 10 and Windows 11, and I always get those keys from CDKeyOffer.com. That's because it's a reliable, long-term sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead that gets you reasonable prices on legitimate keys for these types of products but it's really not all that they offer they also can give you keys for microsoft office uh keys for playstation codes and even some of the latest pc releases like elden ring and they even carry gaming peripherals in chairs now whatever you need cd key offer probably has you covered and they're always running sales but make sure you use the best code possible and that's the ones provided for the moore's law is dead fans moore's law is dead fans get the biggest discount and if you Go to the link on screen or in the description. You can use code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Microsoft products and DieString to get 3% off everything else on the website. Using these codes really does help Moore's Law is Dead, and it helps you play reasonable prices for games that you want in keys that, frankly, you just have to use half of the time. So, again, use the link in the description. Use Broken Silicon. Use DieString depending on the products you're getting, and pay reasonable prices for keys today at CDKeyOffer.com. Dot com. Knobhead writes in, and we already talked about the Quest 3, but he says, do you think the recent shortages will affect the release of upcoming devices like they affected the release of the PS5 and Xbox Series consoles? Um, I, I think they will, but in a different way. I think they might increase costs. Um. So, like, it, it might lead to products that look more expensive than what they might or they could have been otherwise. Um, but on, on the time scale, like, things should be getting back to normal next year, right? What it should be. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think what we're going to see is availability for a lot of devices is going to be through the roof. Um, the question will be if there will just be, like, you know, minor nuclear wars or like a country being kicked out of trade unions that causes. So we'll, uh, I don't know what the unknowns are for those things. I don't think it's going to affect availability so much as cost. I think it's more of an inflation yeah. thing is what I would worry about. Yeah, which which I guess at some level might, like it does translate to less devices existing, but it's because they're forecasting less sales if mm. they have to raise the price. All right. Let, let me skip ahead to this here and start getting to kind of the final questions just about what will ultimately make it successful and... um like what will make it the best experience. So let me just flat out ask, we've danced around it, but I'm just, when will VR go mom and pop mainstream? Like what does the, vi the device, that what's that device? Yeah, and I, I think that is closer to something that Apple would ship. I think it's, it's a device that's aiming to replace a laptop, not to replace a video game console. I think you have to have the general purpose aspect of it. I'm not sure it's going to be VR. Um, the, the headset that it is might look very similar to a VR headset and might support VR gaming. I think it will probably be a mixed reality headset or an augmented reality headset. I, I think that's kind of the answer. And do you think it needs to be cheap? Because Apple's probably won't be. It doesn't have to be cheap initially. Um, what, once, once people want it, like if you could replace your phone, you could theoretically price the device the same as what a phone is right now because everyone's already bought into it um but no it's it's going to have to start off it's either going to have to start off where it's really it's a comparatively very expensive and it's only like basically enthusiasts so how vr started um 
And then you'll eventually get some companies that are some startups to just cut some corners and ship a more uh, a more affordable device. Um, however, there's there's a lot of discussion on this, like in these companies of if it's going to be like AR glasses, if it's going to be a VR headset, if it's going to be a VR headset with pass through. I'm not I'm not sure. I think everyone everyone has placed so much money into this like XR space. And it might just not be any of these. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, is there a chance like smartphones get strong enough? Like I was looking at the processor in my new, what is it? It's not even new anymore. The, the sequel's already come out. It's like a Xperia 5.3. Such a terrible name, but that's what it's called by Sony. Um, like, and I was looking at the specs of it and I'm like, oh, it's pretty similar, if not better than the XR2 or something, or it's pretty close to that. And I was like, oh, wow. That's so, so like, when do we get smartphones, you know, that aren't on your head so they can get hot, you can plug them in on your table and then they have Wi-Fi 6E or a band above that. And then that just beams to a VR device with a smaller battery in it that costs 150 bucks you just put on when you want to use. Maybe small enough to fold up and put in your pocket next to your phone. Yeah. And without getting too much into how like AR glasses have to work, it has to be like that. There's not, there's no possible way you can get to a form factor that looks like glasses and have real compute or battery on that device it just doesn't the physics Mm -hmm. don't really work um so yeah and this is where this is where entrenched companies like apple and google have an advantage because they're they're shipping these powerful phones every year um so how much different would it be if instead of this standalone compute device that has a processor on it what if apple just releases like a 500 hundred dollar pair of glasses that connects to your phone and basically is like a smartwatch on your face um that that's where like uh, it's just such a different use case than what VR is. Like VR has to be this um this powerful device, low latency because playing games requires it. Um, but if the thing that goes mainstream is just augmenting your world with like a display, that's not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Um, Nami Daka writes in and asks. Uh, hello, Tom and guests. I have three questions on the same subject. Since VR pushes way more than the need, way has it way more of a need for high resolutions. What place does FSR and DLSS take in current VR title development and in the near future? How much do you think VR titles are being held back by hardware not strong enough to do proper to properly run them with better graphics and frame rate? And do you think the new generation of GPUs from AMD and NVIDIA are going to help develop the VR ecosystem since better price performance could help raise the minimum requirements of titles? Again, I, I we've already answered, but I'll say it again. I think for the third one, yes, it absolutely yeah. will. But what would you say to the other questions? Um, yeah. And was the third question is hardware holding back VR titles? That's all that, that basically the question I'd say is, is hardware holding it back? Will new hardware help and how much will FSR and DLSS help? Yeah. So definitely current hardware is holding it back, especially on the quest devices. New hardware will help. Um, so DLSS and FSR, I don't think currently exist on the quest line. There is a thing that exists called application space warp. Um, and it's kind of a similar concept, but what it does is, uh, if let's say you're running at 90 hertz, like your display is running at 90 hertz, the application or game will only render 45 hertz, and then it uses this magical runtime to kind of like uh, interject the basically every other frame. It like tries to guess what you would have rendered, uh, and it gives your application more time to do each frame. So you you get 90 hertz without actually make like right drawing 90 frames a second. Um, and the way it does it is, I think, very similar to how temporal anti-aliasing works, but you, you generate um, motion vector buffers and depth buffers, 
and then that gives th- that gives the runtime enough information to kind of like i guess guess where pixels will be in the next frame um because it's just slightly moved and then you get you get a real next frame right after that um and there's so- a lot of tricks i think i remember nvidia announcing even with pascal where they're like putting effort into making sure like a pascal and later card doesn't render pixels twice as much because they cross over in a 3d view oh you know what i mean interesting yeah so I know that's yeah. something these companies are also already putting effort into to not waste resources when yeah. they're running VR titles. Yeah. And there's also a thing, um, and, and there's application or so application space warp is one I just talked about. So that's, it's kind, it kind of does what DLSS does, but in a different way, instead of guessing, like instead of guessing pixels on upscaling, it guesses interpolation of frames, which is a different way to do it. Um, I think maybe at some point DLSS or something like that will like fit or FSR will, um, will hit these VR devices. I think the Sony headset is probably more likely to hit that first because um, upscaling makes more sense there. Um, but uh, the other thing is uh, asynchronous time warp and asynchronous space warp. Um, those are both things that deal with um, you draw a frame and then let's say like your headset position moves and the like right before the frame needs to be drawn, they'll try to adapt the frame to to a best guess of where it should be. And this helps um, this helps reduce like uh, last mile latency, basically, of the frame being output. And it's so you don't mm-hmm. feel very sick, like you don't you don't change your head and it's still showing you over here and then it just like suddenly updates. Um, it's trying yeah. to help with that. So th- there have been a lot of there's been a lot of work on the VR side to fix these latency issues, I think, just in a different way. Well, I guess latency issues are slightly different than resolution issues, but at some level, you you downgrade your resolution so you can get more frames, you can reduce per frame latency. And there's been a lot more work, I guess, on the VR side to do it in slightly different ways that I hope will make it into game engines even for 2D. Um, like theoretically, the the application space warp could be applicable to any game running on any like 2D output. Yeah, and I think one thing I need to throw into this too that I kind of neglected to bring up so far that I'm hearing a lot about behind the scenes with at least PSVR 2 is foveated rendering, that people are really sleeping on how much this is going to help the performance relative to Steam VR games. Because, and this is something games already play with now in some of the latest titles, which is kind of rendering things on the outskirts of the screen at a slightly lower resolution because you don't really notice. Well, you can still notice it. And I have. I, I've looked at some games and been like, oh, I can kind of tell this is... If I'm playing quickly, I don't notice, but if I like... I can kind of see it's blurrier on the outsides. Foveated rendering, though, when you're using a VR headset, like the PSVR 2 is going to have eye tracking, um, lots of new devices will as well. And because they literally know where your eye is looking, yep. your peripheral vision can be slightly blurred. They can get back 10, 20, 30% more performance. In fact, that in conjunction with a couple other... like little graphical tricks i'm hearing the psvr2 is just kind of mandating to developers and shipping with there are some theoretical scenarios i've heard that are like over a 50 percent boost in performance so does that mean every game will always get fit like is this going to make it go from 1800p to over 4k 60 i that's not what i'm promising guys but i am saying that the psvr2's resolution is a little above 4k and they're getting that extra boost and they're programming to it so i i think you know, you add that with newer hardware that might come out with like a PS5 Pro as well. And I think people are going to be shocked by how good the VR graphics are going to be on that device if they actually make AAA games on it. Yeah. And foveated rendering is very, very important. Um, I think what you'll see on desktop VR headsets as well, and like the Quest line, I think we'll probably at some point get it. 
Um, but like future VR dust, uh, like the index two, I think was being rumored to have eye tracking. Um, the, the big part with fovea rendering is you have to have eye tracking and I forget why that's a weird, like why that wasn't immediately obvious to everyone. Um, there, there were like desktop eye tracking systems, um, mm. like for monitors before. And they just, I, I just think besides for, um, like disability use cases where like that you needed to use your eyes cause like you couldn't move your hands or something. It, no one really used them. So That's that, true. Wouldn't that be yeah. cool if, like, all $1,000, like, if yeah. AMD mandated FreeSync, uh, Adaptive Sync, the newest version, has to come with a camera for tracking your eyes that yeah. works with, like, an RDNA 4 chip for, like, boosting performance, I would certainly pay an extra couple hundred bucks for a new monitor if I knew every new graphics card coming out just get got 20% more performance while I was using it. Yep. Yeah, and it, it's interesting why that hasn't happened. So if you look at... I mean, I guess not all monitors, but like all Apple monitors have cameras on them now. Like all laptops mm-hmm. have cameras. It's interesting that no no one has ever tried anything with this at a large. It really scale. helped laptops, and they almost yeah. always have a camera. Yeah, um, I think maybe it's um, because headsets take your entire vision. There's more of an like a use for it because like if you're looking at a small laptop screen, you can see the entire screen. Like maybe mm-hmm. it's just you you're looking at the entire thing. Your face isn't up on it. Um, yeah, yeah, and then if you plug it into a TV, they'd have to make sure the drivers turn it off if you're using it on there. But then most TVs have a lot. Some TVs have a camera on them too, so it does get very complicated. I guess that it does get complicated though in the PC ecosystem. It, probably less complicated in the mobile gaming ecosystem. I, I do wonder, yeah, if the reason they're talking about it being such a big thing is because again on PS5 they just know what device you're using, so yep. they can program one API to do the foveated on all of them um right so i think this is a really important question i am really curious what your thoughts are on it gus writes in and he says hi tom and guest vr seems to be great for racing games and games like beat saber from what i understand but in first person games the walking mechanic is probably the hardest part to get right are there better solutions coming do you think there are games that have cracked this puzzle yeah and i'd say resident evil 7 and Half-Life Alex, the thing that I think works best, use a joystick to move around. If you want to, you can walk around in real space. And then you have a thing for switching the kind of box around you in case you get too close to a wall or something. But it it is it is very clunky though. Yeah. And I guess so from your experience with Alex, does it make you sick when you like move with the joystick, but your body isn't moving, but then like your face thinks it's moving? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. I um, think that some of that is they don't handle it very well. They just kind of make you drift forward and yeah. make a walking noise. They, I feel like they could have done more. It doesn't in Resident Evil 7, though, to my knowledge, to my memory. Okay. Um, yeah, so there's. I have a few thoughts on this. Um, so if you go one route and you say, uh, basically, the only way to do this well in VR is to actually walk, is to actually move your body, there's a few solutions to this. There's that, like, rollerball thing that you stand <laughs> on, and it's just, like, a unidirectional pad, and it, it just moves I've never tried move. one of those. I have a suspicion it would be weird, but have you tried one? I have not tried one. I've thought about getting them. They're kind of, I think they're expensive. I think they're, like, oh, a yeah. few grand. Um, the other thing, so when I was in college, I had a friend that was working on, it was VR research, uh, pretty early on but what they were trying to do was if you had a, a large size room probably larger than anyone who's playing a vr game at home has um they were basically in america let alone in like south korea or something by yeah the way. yeah like like whatever the whatever the uh the recommended room sizes for playing like a current vr game this is that's too small of a space to do this but it was um 
it was basically this AI, I don't want to say it was an AI system, but when, what you saw in the game world um, would drift ever so slightly. So if if you if they wanted to like have you walk a really long time and you didn't have that amount of space in the real world, it made you go in a circle, basically, like a really long circle. And apparent what they were trying to find was if your brain could understand that you were moving in a circle or if you just thought you were moving straight because the image being shown mm. to you was straight. Apparently, it had to be a huge play area, though. Yeah, but yeah, it was an idea. It was a much larger play area, and it was just a way to simulate a lo- much larger space. And you basically walk in circles in your play area, which mm-hmm. uh, th- there are these like uh, huge scale VR things. Um, it's like I want to say they're like laser tag, but in VR, yes, there's, there's a few like converted movie theaters that do them. And this would be potentially a thing that could work in an area like that. Um, but, yeah, but did you did it work well? I thought I, did did they did they I, find that I think it worked it, well? I I think what the research found was the human didn't know that they were walking in a circle. So yes, it worked. Okay, well that's certainly an idea for like a, a new future version of like the old school arcade where you go there yeah. to get experiences you can't at home. But like, how, what do you think Resident Evil Eight should do if they make a VR version? Yeah, and that and then we get into the part where. Um, so if you're not moving your body and this someone asked a question too of like if you were from a third like a third person view instead of a first person for a VR game mm-hmm. I think you get sick. I think that's like the answer. I don't know if there's a great way. I think it's going to be jarring for you in unless you teach your body that you can move like your brain can actually relearn movement. So you I think there's a way where if you do it enough you can teach yourself that like moving your thumb moves your body and it won't make you sick anymore. It didn't at all in Resident Evil 7. Now, here's the thing. Resident Evil 7 has smaller areas that... Smaller rooms, less open areas than Alex half the time, and you move slower. So I wonder if I just never got sick. Like, Resident Evil 7 is an ideal game to make a VR game. I wonder if that's why I never got sick. Whereas in Alex, I'm sorry, some of the times I get surrounded by a Combine squad... It gets uh, real weird real quick when I'm trying to jump around. And I feel like I'm cheating, but I have to. I'm next to a wall in my house. I just got to warp forward past them. And now I'm like, well, is this really a teleportation, like, superhero game now? Because it's weird. Yeah. And and, and that's another interest. Like, and this is where, like, there's, there's going to be limitations in any VR game. But, like, what if that was your mechanic? Like, what if your game was you are a superhero who teleports? And, like, that was just the mechanic. And, like... Which, yeah. again, it's like games like Super Hot. I think, figured it out. You don't need more than 20 by 20 feet. It moves you before you ever need to. It would be good if there was a game that just built it from the ground up to make use of that. You yeah. Know? Like, it, to just accept, hey, you know, instead of raging against the night, let's just accept these are the current VR limitations yeah. and make a game around it that works really, really well. Yeah. Jackfruit right, Jackfoot writes in, and he says... Hello, Tom and guest. I'm wondering if future VR devices will rely on using Wi-Fi to connect your PC to the VR device to pay, play more demanding games where a few milliseconds, uh, yeah, milliseconds of latency, additional latency is not a big problem. If yes, will future DR, VR devices have way higher bandwidth Wi-Fi chips? Oh, we've kind of answered all of this already. My own experience with letting PCs run games. Yeah, so I think yeah, we've already answered this, Jack, but the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I think that's the future is you'll connect to some high compute device that draws tons of power and it'll wirelessly go to some device on your face that doesn't. Or again, you know, we've talked about how like what can you cool on your face? Even just using your phone at least spreads things apart. 
You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah. your phone can yeah. get hot, but it's not in your pocket while you're playing VR, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. That's better yeah. than being on your face. Yeah. Which, and yeah, if it, it could be your phone at some point. It doesn't necessarily have to be a desktop computer. But I think, like, the most realistic thing we'll get in the next two years is you're connecting to your desktop computer, which is current kind of what you do now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Adrian Stroschke writes in. He says, the first Oculus Rift prototype was showcased at conventions 10 years ago. I tried it and liked it, but why on earth are these things still in the prototyping stage from what I can tell? I think a good headset needs high resolution, uh, easy to drive eye tracking, good inside and out tracking, standardized API so that it can be used for all VR content, you know, like you would expect from any display technology. Well, headsets with some of these features are slowly making their way into the market. The last point seems to develop in the opposite directions right now. What is your prediction? Is standardization in sight or will it take another 10 years? The technology is already five years old. I bought a cheap headset a couple of years ago to experiment with it while waiting for a device that meets my requirements. So I guess you could say I'm an early adopter, but at this rate, I don't think I see any new HMD in my future. By the way, how the heck is the metaverse supposed to work? Yes, yeah, so first thing, there is the standardized API. It is OpenXR. Um, I'm trying to think what would make it seem recently like that we weren't heading towards that. Like Apple is not heading towards that, so I guess that's an argument. If Sony's not using it, that's an argument that it's not standardized. Um, is Sony on this list? They are not. Microsoft's on it, though. Okay, so I guess Sony is using a different thing, and maybe oh, it's no, just no, no, also... No. no, Sony's on this list. Oh, okay, so if there can, you go. If I can send this to you. It's just the OpenXR. Uh, yeah, I'll put the, a link in the description for it. I don't know, but I guess maybe he might make the argument of all the different types of controllers and stuff, too. Yeah, so this is where it gets really weird. So the way OpenXR is standardized for controller input is it's very high level. And what you basically do is you, you can, like, hard code to specific controller layouts, but um, you, you, like, tell the system what, what things you want to map to where, but... The runtime is perfectly free to remap things any way it sees fits uh, or sees fits. So like this happens a lot in Steam VR games where like the user will just share like a modified control profile for your specific headset, and it's just better than whatever the system thought it would do. Um, so it, it kind of abstracts away from all of this uh, or all of the issues with it, um, where the the game at the end of the day just it, it gets an input in, and that input is more um, semantic than like a button was pressed or button A was pressed. Um, what was I trying to think? Uh, the, the part about eye tracking, um, I'm not sure I'm not sure how much easier interfaces would be with eye tracking. This is where, this is where like, people get into the UX research of how to make like, a good um, computer-human interface. Um, I, I think there is a potential for eye tracking to improve things. I just don't know how much experimentation we will need once eye tracking headsets exist to be able to perfect it. Like probably once an eye tracking headset ships from Meta, it will have um, good support for some eye tracking interface, just like when it shipped hand tracking support, it already supported it pretty well. Um, but like, I don't know, like with Sony's eye tracking, I don't know how good it's, it's like UI menus are going to be because it has eye tracking, um, mm -hmm. more so than just pointing the controller at it, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, well, I'll have to talk to some more people. We're just going to kind of have to see on that one. I yeah. just don't know yet. Right? Yeah. yeah. And the whole thing with if eye tracking were really good for user interfaces, like why hasn't anyone done it on phones or laptops yet, which all have cameras that could do it potentially? I guess maybe the cameras aren't good enough or in the right place where it would be worthwhile. But 
Um, definitely agree on the the high risk screen and inside out tracking. I, I think the way standalone headsets have come um, is the way that VR should have developed. Um, I will say though, like I, I guess as a as a question back to the writer, but why? I guess why doesn't the why doesn't the person think that like Quest Two is a good enough device to upgrade to after five years? Is it just oh. it's it's well, not and high yeah, that's what I'm, That is what I'm slowly realizing is I didn't. I tried out Quest Two and I went, oh, oh no, we've we've come a long way, guys. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> like yeah. I'm telling you, we have. I think I think I. And that's where you come in and you've said this a lot to me. Like, that's why we need the apps now. Yep. Like, yep. we really have gotten somewhere. And I think people under, if it was 150, everyone would buy a Quest 2 and try it out. I think 300 is still a little bit at this price point where people are scared to buy again when their old HMDs didn't yep. really live up to the hype. But yep. I'm telling anyone listening to this, it is so much better right now than you'd think. Don't sleep on how good the Quest 3 and PSVR 2 could be. Like, yep. it's already. The PSVR 1 and the original Oculus I used at my friend's house were terrible. Okay, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine paying $1,000 for those. And, you know, it truly was enthusiasts only at that point. But it is better now. I may not look like it, guys, but it is better now. Is it perfect? No, but it is so much better. It's, it, it, it is like PS2 or like PS3 or 360 in quality of what you're getting here. Yeah. Um, and there might be, the, like, part of this question might have, like, an implicit, like, for the right price in it, because there yeah. are companies that Everything exist. Everything is implicit for yeah. the right price. There are, there are companies that exist that already have high-res, like, much higher-res screens that have the 60 pixels per degree on the displays and eye tracking and inside-out tracking on the headset. But they're, like, they're so expensive that you have to be a business and inquire about the unit pricing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... so... So when is it going to be perfect, though, you know, to this reader's question? I don't know, man. Yeah, It will be another five years before it's perfect, probably. And even yeah. then, I don't know. We're always discovering new things to make better. Yeah, and I don't think it's ever going to be perfect in the sense, well, may, maybe in, like, five to ten years. Like, everything has just come down and cost so much that, like, the baseline, like, the entry-level headset is, like, two 4K displays. And it its processor is just that powerful. And it's, like, what, 150? Uh, but in the in in the in between time, there's going to be like a shift. Like you're either going to want a high end headset and you're going to pay the money for it because that's what you want, or what you really want is just something that has thing like content you can play on it and is cheap enough where you can warrant the price. Mm-hmm. Which those aren't the same thing at all. No. All right. I think I've got yeah. I, I've got a. Let me just do this one as kind of the final question here for fun. So Timo H writes in, he says, another question of VR or really lack of VR in gaming. I'm not too into this tech and don't plan to use it. So besides VR, do you see any other avenues in gaming tech already visible that could change things even half as much as Oculus Rift caused ripples in the tech press? Or is there perhaps part of the gaming industry where this is useful despite not being in end products like PSVR 2? So I guess, yeah, I guess it's just question is... And I would agree, like, in terms of what we're doing right now with most things, it's just better than <laughs> what we've been doing for 20 years. Uh, VR is a new experience. Do you see anything else coming besides VR that is truly going to seismically change maybe what we want to spend? Because people are building PCs for VR, like, not, like, it changes. Is there anything else coming you think that will kind of, like, change gaming in that way? and how VR is changing it right now, slowly, but mm. seemingly surely. So for gaming in particular, I, I'm i not sure. I 
So I, I think uh, part of the question was uh, ripples and like tech press. Um, I, I think I mentioned this before, but I think that was because of um, the pop culture uh, like zeitgeist around what VR was and us finally saying like, oh, we're going to do it for real. Um, I think anything else to, that could cause that amount of tech press is going to be something from one of these like sci-fi novels, either dystopias or utopias. Um, augmented <laughs> reality is going to be one of the things and it's already made a bunch of ripples in the tech press. In terms of gaming, though, I think like the the most perfect form of gaming would be like the full body haptics um, where like you you can put the device on you think you're in this other world and you like you operate like you're in the real world but you can't tell the difference um, or we just like plug a, like a cable into your brain and it's like matrix style um, that's kind of where I see gaming going is like that's how you get the the more immersion how you feel more like you're the actual character um, do I want either of those things to exist? I'm not sure. There, that is a real argument, you know. Wouldn't it be yeah. better if we just made meeting people in real life, going outside, more fun yeah. than focusing on jacking into our heads here and watching the... Or yeah. being blissfully unaware that the world is crumbling around us. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And this is where, like, augmented reality is going to be much more in the... Like, you still go out and do things in your real life. It's just making it... It's like a cell phone. It's making things you want to do slightly easier sometimes. But it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not like going to... You're not, you're not going to, like, stop going outside because your AR glasses can, like, give you directions to the place you want to go. Yeah. Some people might, but I think it is my opinion the overwhelming majority of people will just use the new tech to make the things they're already doing even yeah. more fun. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I think is how you have to, like, focus these products, too. Um, and that's why, like, maybe VR hasn't taken off. Well, VR has been so focused on gaming, and it's not really doing a good job of gaming yet. And that's why, like, maybe there's, there's, like, we're having such a hard time getting to market share. Um, but yeah, AR is definitely going to go through a thing as well. Where, like, if if what you want to do in AR is run like Pokemon Go on your face, it's you're probably not going to get that for a while. Um, no, well, no, unless they made like the camera pass through. So good oh, that you oh, can yeah, walk yeah. around like it's glasses, but I get yeah. a little wary yeah. of that. So pet pass through MR, I, I'm more bullish on. Like I think that could be a real thing, um, quickly, but it's not going to be a thing that it's. I I think more for like business productivity use cases. It's not going to be a thing you want to like walk around outside attached to your face. Mm-hmm. Well, it is conceivable yeah. though. Like if you wore that on your face, we were playing a game. Like a missile goes past you in Battlefield, it actually shows it plat pass over you in real life they could nail that in a game pretty easily i think without too much programming oh oh you mean like oh 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 yeah yeah So like you're playing on a monitor and then you're using a controller so you don't get sick walking it just works normally but you have this pass through that's so high resolution you can't tell you're wearing it and then a rocket goes over you in the game you actually see it fly past your head in real life and then maybe you see your walls light up in front of you or something something explodes in the background that's kind of a halfway point where the programming part of it isn't so hard so much as the tech just isn't there yeah um and i think it'd be cooler too if you didn't have a real display like it was your headset was just like projecting what would have been the display there and then like it can do all of that stuff more easily certainly yeah. if it could do that it could just do both for you and you don't yeah. even need a monitor i mean yeah. it's certainly possible that honestly gaming desktops of the future look just like they do now it's just you have your latest AR goggles with pass-through you put on, and then you just game like there's a monitor in front of you because we still haven't quite figured out how to 
do it without getting sick yet. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of like what I've been focusing on for like the productivity app. It's basically just you can make a bunch of quote unquote displays in the virtual world and like it's VNC at the end of the day, um, which isn't interesting and like doesn't actually make use of any VR features. But I feel like that's just where you start. Like that meets people where they are. If people want a game on a 2D monitor and like you want to give them extra things, then like you can do that makes less sense for gaming makes more sense for productivity like if if your workflow is you do something on a 2d display then like do your thing on a 2d display Mm -hmm. well so i've gotten through pretty much all the subjects i had for us to discuss is there and we've been going for over two hours here i don't um is there anything else you wanted to discuss well i've got Um, you oh yeah so actually this last question um Parts of the game industry where VR concepts might be useful, I think is uh, all the stuff about like application space warp, asynchronous space warp, asynchronous time warp. I think those things could theoretically go backwards into a 2D game engine that isn't focused on VR, but still have benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Other than that... Um, Just for helping rendering everything else as well. Yeah, yeah, just as a concept for reduce, like getting getting output frame rate that's not necessarily drawing at the same. Like everything that DLSS is trying. Well, I guess DLSS is you are trying to do 120 hertz just at a lower resolution. This would be more like you're trying to do 60 hertz to then output 120 hertz. I I really think that in like five years, like because I think RDNA three is going to double performance. I think RDNA four is going to be around double performance or at least above 50 percent, and I don't know what RDNA 5 will bring. One might want to be conservative and say maybe that'll be a smaller step, but I have no reason to believe it will be when these other two are going to be so big. I really think it's just in five years, not only are we going to have devices six, eight, ten times stronger than what we have now, but we're also going to have rendering techniques that are like four times more efficient. (laughs) And like, I really do think in five years, people are going to laugh at like what the PlayStation 6, if you will, can do compared to now. And it's... Again, it's the combination of the better coding, the better devices, and the more teraflops. It's all of it. And yeah. I, I really think we're going to laugh at like where we are in five years. Well, we, we can get into... I, I don't know how much programming will improve. We have not historically been able to make use of more But like cores. programming for the right thing, you know what I mean? Like yeah. actually like not rendering the pixels you don't see, upscaling techniques, oh, yeah, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In conjunction with, oh, we also just have 100 teraflop oh, yeah, graphics yeah. cards now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more interested in like because uh, recently you said something about like an a thousand core processor. Like I want that, but I don't know how how many people will write applications for that properly. I mean, it's coming. I don't. I, I and I've been starting to ask that too because you know it was funny a couple of years ago. Like some of those leaks I was doing, it was like ah oh, Milan's sixty four cores, Genoa's ninety six, Bergamo's one hundred twenty eight, and the second I saw Bergamo's one twenty eight, I was like, okay, well we knew this was going to happen eventually, but. Like I was asking server people, like, I was like, you know, a couple of years ago, we had 32 core server processors from AMD and we were talking about 64 and 96 ones coming. And you said, the more, the better. I'm like, are you sure? Because we're going to have like 500 core processors in four years, I think. So when do even your server apps start hitting these scaling walls? And they're like, yeah, actually, it might over 300. Yep. Yeah, I think you have to you have to change programming paradigms. You get more into the harder programming models like asynchronous programming, but it's doable. Mm-hmm. It'd be fun yeah. to make that easier for all developers. But I, I think right now we have that stagnation. Right now, what we're looking at is very comparable to kind of like the early two thousands, 
Okay. Where or something, or maybe even ninety late nineties, that that kind of period where it's like, oh wow, we're just we have three D now, and we're doing all of these things way better than before, and then we got rapidly better generations for five to ten years straight, and then it's going to take. We're probably going to get stagnation somewhere when silicon is truly limited at about one nanometer. I think by twenty thirty. I think though, when that happens, it'll be okay because we're going to need five or ten years for software to catch up with what we have, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Which sounds sounds right, but yeah, no. If we, I don't, do do you also know the TDP of the a thousand core? Is it still going to be like three hundred watts? So like Turin, I believe, goes up to at least two fifty six cores, and that's going to be Zen five, and that's going to be at the very end of next year, if not early twenty twenty four. I think Venice goes to at least three. I think three eighty four cores. Although frankly, I don't have a direct number, so let's leave it at that. So that's Zen six, like twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six, and so. Uh, Sierra Force, I heard, could be like 800 to 1,000 cores. We'll see. Don't quote me, guys. I'm not 100% sure on that. But years ago, that's what I heard. Um, so I, I don't, you know, but that's weaker cores. So I, I don't know. I think it's so, certainly conceivable that if there is a Zen 7, who knows if they'll call it something new by then. Um, yeah, I think you're looking at over 500 cores in 2026. But it'll be the, the top TDP, like the, the 280 watt TDP. 600 watts. 600. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so there's there's something to be said to make that into a smaller package, like something that could be a 20 watt mm-hmm. package. But. Well, yeah. Oh, so I see what you're saying, right? So if they hit 600 watts with 512 cores, let's just say, like you're saying, so then you divide by 10, 52, 60. Yeah, you're getting there. Yeah, you're getting to like almost nothing. Well, I you know I'm working on. I don't even know if we'll be out before this comes out, but a what is it? Mendocino, whatever that new little APU is from AMD, I think that's only five watts. That's a quad core, so that should tell you we're kind of getting there now. Okay. Yeah. Well, that tells you the CPU for the current games in a standalone VR device. We're there. The GPU needs to catch up. Hmm. The standalone headsets are using Qualcomm CPU and graphics. Like, is there anything to just not... Like, I guess Samsung tried this with their... uh, They have, like, a RDNA2-based GPU, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound really much better than the latest ARM graphics anyways for the power consumption. Yeah, I, I didn't hear great things about it's it. It's not like double, guys, anyone listening. It's not like because it's AMD, it's twice as good. That's not what it sounds like. I don't think it's anywhere near. I don't, I don't even think know it's if it's... even better than yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be worse than actually the other ARM ones for the power yeah, consumption. That, that's what I was hearing from some people, but um, we'll see. Yeah, well... Um, I guess let's stop it there then, though. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Is there anything you have to plug? I mean, you're an anonymous guest, but, you know. Yeah, no, I do not think there's anything current uh, to plug. Uh, If at some point the VR productivity thing is ever a real thing, you know, maybe then uh, if I ever try to sell that. But no, right now there's nothing. Well, I had a dev on from Obsidian, and he plugged his app he had just finished, and he was surprised I let him plug it too. He's like, really? And then everyone talked about it on Twitter. So whenever you get that done, yeah. let me know. And you can certainly come back on and plug it. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. So I guess that'll do it then. I mean, thanks for everyone for writing in. Remember, if you support Broken Silicon, you can submit reader mails for guests and for me and Dan on the news episodes. So we can't do this without our patrons to do that there. But otherwise, you know, subscribe to Broken Silicon. Give us a review. Tell your friends about us. Put 10 phones on repeat download for all of our episodes. And uh, subscribe to the Moore's Laws Dead YouTube channel. And otherwise, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Laws Dead. 
Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, AV, Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, BBC 6800 XT, Big Sexy, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Ivan K, Brian Riggleman, Joaquin Hagen, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Harris, SNAS Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchik, Andrew S., Dane Golanowski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valko Malev, The Boss Haas, I Love You, Lennon, Jim, Spamptum, G. Spamptum, Jonathan, Jeremy So, General Gyps, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan and Moe's, Azurias, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, My Name Is Nobody, Caillou Markelly, HardForum.com, Original Ross, Licky, Stefan, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, Jamie Scanlon, Sarcaster, Stefan Hart, Jason B., Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Moby, Nanian, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Mako McGee, Benjamin Oshley, Sam Malas, Greg, Ah Trini, Patrick Rowe, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Zinni Nugent, Arcane 311, Tommy, Rundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, John Wissink, Delmanine Peterson, James Anderson, Y. Truy, Mark Raidmaker, Seth Domings, 3DS Boy, Al Buma, Narithio, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Cole Attic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, F7GOS, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Jason Bowen, Noah Nicoella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jerem Foriera, Zabeat03, Desist Thomas A. Tief, Klein, Britannian, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Axel Cisneros, Royce Mayer, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Morphysus, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Sandy Garrido Saunderson, David Eastland, Fire Falcon on YouTube, Andre at Shucks, Gaiman Sitz Reagan, Jeff Sandler, 
Eric Osborne, Loophole 35, Windstar Joker, James I. Radner, Corey Leonard, Sammy Moloss, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs> 